Hi, KBT fans. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We just want to take a second here to tell you about our Patreon campaign. Support from our listeners is what allows us to keep making this podcast. Because it turns out making a podcast requires money. So please, if you have a second, head over to patreon.com slash Talk, where you'll find bonus content for contributors. For our first bonus episode, we're doing a holiday special covering the 1999 Tom Cruise classic Magnolia, which, trust us, you do not want to miss. So visit patreon.com slash Talk for details. Um, IMF agent Ethan Hunt is determined to prove the existence of the syndicate, a criminal consortium the CIA does not believe exists. Hunt is captured by the syndicate at a record shop and oh, I have so much to say about this movie. I can't do it. How's my sound? Okay. Hi there, welcome to Kim and Billy Talk Mission Impossible. We are here today to talk about, I'm just so excited, Rogue Nation. I'm Kim. I'm Billy. And let's get to it. I have deliberately not said anything <laughs> to Billy about this movie yet. I have just, I'm just, I'm just going to explode right now. I loved it. I loved it so much. It is a perfect movie. I forgot how good it is. I just, I... Oh my God, I watched it three times in the past 24 hours, and each time it was just still so good. I like how hard you tried to not share this opinion with me. <laughs> I walked into Kim's apartment, and she goes, Okay, I can't tell you how I feel, but I, oh, I have so many feelings. Oh, I can't wait. Okay, we have to start it. We have to start it. Oh, I can't tell you. Like, I just loved it so hmm, much. I think I know where this is going. <laughs> um, so, what did you think of the movie, Billy? How restrained should I be here? Um, I haven't felt this excited since we sat down to record. Uh, our episode on Mission Impossible 2. I love this. I watched this last night. I can't say I watched it three times in the last 24 hours. I'm a little intimidated right now by <laughs> well, the level of knowledge you are bringing to this, but... It's not really a level of knowledge, and, like, the third time it was really just, like, on in the background more than anything okay. else, but... uh doesn't matter. Still watched it a lot. Yeah, um, I am I am psyched. I've been thinking about what I'm going to say... Okay. ...all day. All right. So, um, this might be a 19-hour episode strap in (laughs) listeners here we go all right so we have to start by first talking about where tom cruise is in his career right now yes so we're gonna do the quick tom cruise career corner and we're gonna jump right into it so ghost protocol comes out at the end of 2011 and it is the start of the tom cruise renaissance he blows the door off doors off the box office he's phoenixing he is we start getting headlines. Tom Cruise is back. People yeah. are saying Tom Cruise can open movies again, blah, blah, blah. And he sort of has like an odd next film lined up, but I truly believe it was in the vein of, one, Tom Cruise just wanting to have fun, like him probably going, you, you, my reputation could not get worse, so I might as well do things that I enjoy. Swing for the fences. Yeah, but also he wants people to have fun with him, and so his next big role is as Stacy Jacks in Rock of Ages, which is a... Bad movie, except for Tom Cruise. He is fantastic in it. Okay, He's so, I've, so good. I've never seen it. So I was going to say, we're unfortunately going to be st- starting this rather amped episode on somewhat of a down note, because I think the period between Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation is one of the most interesting and saddest streaks <laughs> in anybody's career. Because he has four movies mm-hmm. after he comes back, pretty much all of them going in different directions. Maybe two of them are kind of linked. Uh, aiming to get him back in the game, or or at least uh, 
capture the fact that he's back in the game. Make him like Hollywood's biggest star again. Because everybody's told him he's back. Yeah. And all four fall flat. Yeah. So the next movie is Jack Reacher based on the novels by Lee Child. I had lunch with Lee Child once and I actually talked to him about a party that Billy and I threw ages ago. Um a Tom Cruise theme party when we yeah. were roommates, and uh, Lee Child was delighted. Well, so, either he thought it was stupid and just <laughs> pretended you, to get delightful. through the lunch. Yeah. So he tries with Jack Reacher, and this is supposed to be a f- big franchise, right? There, are, God, how many of those books are there? Um, a lot. I think there's probably like twenty. Right. So this yeah. has this has the potential to be huge, a huge franchise. And so the guy who said he never wanted to do franchises. Is now this looking is for his next one. Bread and butter, yeah. Um, Doesn't really pan out. Not not a failure. They made a sequel, but I did see the movie. I might have seen the movie in preparation for my lunch with Lee Child, actually. Right. Um, but uh, nope, that math doesn't work out. But I did see the movie, and I thought it was okay. It's 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 perfectly fine, give or take a horrible misogynistic comment here and there. Um, but yeah, it's like it's a fine movie, but yeah. it does not take off the way this movie would have taken off for him in the 90s. Yeah, and then that is followed by Oblivion in 2013, and I remember seeing the movie, but that is it. I don't remember another thing about it. never seen it. And then we get 2014, in which one of my favorite movies of all time is released, but I didn't actually see it in 2014. I don't think anyone did, but it's so good that when people did start seeing it, it It became like this like cult hit. And the movie I'm talking about is... Edge of Tomorrow. Which is just so good. Easily the best post-Ghost Protocol Tom Cruise movie other than a Mission Impossible And movie. also just one of the best. I probably said the that best... in the most convoluted way possible. <laughs> no. Let's say, actually, the best movie he's made post-War of the Worlds that is not a Mission Impossible movie. And it's just, it's not just like a, Tom, a good Tom Cruise movie. It is just truly an excellent science fiction action adventure film emily blunt is perfect in the movie and yep. it's also just funny in addition to being really exciting and an original concept and i have also seen that movie probably way too many times great movie if you yep. haven't seen it go see it so anyway his career is supposed to be back he does four movies that are all supposed to be big two of them are either good or great two of mm-hmm. them are I, I don't even know yep and none of them really work yeah, which is which is weird. It is it is kind of this anticlimactic. He was supposed to be back, and uh, audiences are kind of like, yeah, we'll take you as Ethan Hunt. But yeah. uh, outside of that, I don't know. So that's the general feeling that I we're just boldly stating the world has towards Tom Cruise. And then a teaser trailer drops for Mission Impossible: Rogue <sighs> Nation, and it is just. Everyone. I almost don't want to talk about this trailer because the trailer is is pretty much just the first scene of this movie. Yeah. And it's interesting because it, it showcases the movie's biggest stunt. And I remember some grumbling at the time of people being like, eh, did they just give away all the good stuff? And mm-hmm. no, all the exciting stuff of the trailer is first five minutes of the movie. Yeah. And I, I almost feel like I, I know you and I are about to talk for nine hours. <laughs> I, I don't know. Is there anything else we need to get out of the way first or should we just go dive right in? Well, I will just briefly say, I think it's important to talk about the effect that, uh, that teaser trailer. And then it was followed by a longer okay. trailer the okay. next day. Um, because it made everyone remember that Tom Cruise is Hollywood's 
one of Hollywood's biggest star, if not biggest action star, because the publicity around it was, no, that's actually Tom Cruise hanging off the side of a plane. He did that for real, guys. He could have died. Yeah, so notably with the four movies we just described, uh, Rock of Ages... Oh my god! Why see this? This period is so blah that people can't even remember. Rock of Ages, Jack, Jack Reacher, Reacher, Oblivion, Edge of Tomorrow. With the exception of Rock of Ages, he really isn't doing the Tom Cruise thing of I'm going to obsessively study something and do something outlandishly physical. Well, he's kind of just trying to be an does, actor again. He is outlandishly physical in the movie, and he's actually a really surprisingly good singer. Well, so this is what I was going to say. Rock of Ages is the one exception, right? Yeah. Where he's like, I'm going to learn to be a rock star. Mm-hmm. The other three, he's just kind of being like, hey, oh, I'm gotcha. back. Yeah, Remember yeah, how yeah. I can just like act real good? Yeah. I do want to say, Edge of Tomorrow, I am so glad it became a sleeper hit. And when the second movie comes out, I will lose my mind. So they're for sure going forward with that? Yeah. Um, Emily Blunt was just, she she's being Mary Poppins for a year, so she couldn't film, but, uh, that movie comes out soon. So I'm optimistic that edge of tomorrow will start filming soon. Alrighty. Okay. Back to the reason why we are gathered here today. Mission impossible rogue nation. So let me say this by way of introduction. Go ahead. You and I often joke that, you know, we are middling film fans, Mm -hmm. but sincerely we are both, thoughtful people who care about art. And as thoughtful people who care about art, I propose that the United Nations pass a resolution saying every movie going forward should open the way Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Fuck everything else. This is literally the best way you can start a movie. It's so good. If Naya injecting herself with Chimera is my favorite moment in the series. This scene is number two and behind it by just half a step. Oh, it's just, it's so good because, first of all, it just embraces what makes everything about this franchise work. It's the camaraderie between the IMF team. And it is, I'm I'm just going to call him Tom Cruise in this scene because he <sighs> well, is Tom Cruise so, in so, this scene. So, oh, the, okay, the, brill- the brilliance of this scene. We're, it's gonna ta- <laughs> Should it's, we tell people it's what It's going to take is? us like an hour and a half to talk about 10 minutes of screen time. So before anything else, this movie is getting you amped just while they're doing the studio fanfare. So it's doing yeah. the like uh, bad robot stuff. You're just seeing credits. And oh my God, the slowly music. Oh my God, it's so good. It's so good. Dun, 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 dun. I'm like, oh shit, it's happening. Ethan's back. You guys couldn't see this, but Billy, there was hand motions. It was really entertaining. The music is the best it's ever been in this movie. I'm saying it right now. I wholeheartedly agree. Wholeheartedly agree. We open, and as this movie is just ramping up, we open on a field. And we Belarus, can't see anything. But what do we hear? They are going to introduce our characters in reverse order of exciting this. <laughs> That's actually, uh, yeah. True. They are going to build. They're going to yes. take this base layer. You got music and a nice shot. And then who who do we hear first? Brand. He's just asking. Benji? Benji. 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 And then all and of then a sudden. Benji boop, pops up. Like a little gopher. He's wearing Benji's all this grass. Yeah. And he's camouflaged. And he's got his little dun, computer dun, 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 in front of him. <laughs> And now Brant is saying the package is on the plane, Benji. And and Benji is looking through his binoculars at the plane and he's going, yep, yep, I know it. I can't stop it. And so they're yelling back and forth. So these are like 
This is like the these, package these is the, on the plane, Benji. We got to get the package off the plane. So these are like the first two parts of our symphony, right? Yes. Like whatever, Brant and Benji going back and forth. Yes. It's like horns and trumpets, or I don't and even know. Then who cuts into the feed? Luther. Luther is in Malaysia, and he is hacking into a satellite. A Russian satellite so that Benji can hack this plane in Belarus. Yeah. And Brant's like, I can't authorize that. I and Luther's like, that. that's why I didn't ask you, bro. <laughs> and he's wearing his little, what are those hats called? Like porky pie or something he's like got, that? Yeah, he's got like a pork pie hat. He um, just like, he's so good. Yes. And so now the three of them are going back and forth. Yes. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. So we got like. Uh, this little three-way banter. It's very, very funny. And it's ramping up and up and up as as Brant is going, try and cut the electronics. Yeah. Benji goes, can't, can't do, do that. Uh, Luther goes, try and cut the hydraulics. Benji goes, can't, can't do, do that. that. And, and just then- with the three of them, we are already so excited. And then just when you are at your most amped. Our, our arms are both in the air. <laughs> who shows up? Ethan! He's crouched at the top of the hill. It's like he's on the top of like, I don't know, like his own little pride rock. I don't know. It's like Rafiki holding Simba up. Like he's here. Benji, can you open the doors? (laughs) (laughs) And Benji like gives an affirmative and off Ethan goes. He's running after this Airbus plane. Now this Giant is um military plane. just to, for those of you who haven't had the joy of watching this movie it is there's there I think um in my research it was only like two of these planes exist in the world and um they just got permission to use one of them for the movie and so it is an actual Airbus military, military train, grade plane yeah and it is starting to take off and now Ethan is chasing it he jumps up on the wing yeah. And swings himself down to the side. So now he is holding on. Like, I thought it was kind of convenient. Like, I'm sure this actually exists on an Airbus, but there's sort of like these holes that he can wedge so, his hands into. So how, how much do you want me to break the magic here? Maybe, what, should we say what actually happens? Go ahead. Just do what you want so to do. So the panel you're talking about does mm-hmm. exist on this plane. It's okay. a baffle that is used for um, basically people are going to have to jump out of this plane as skydivers. All right. There are unfortunately no holes on that panel, so you <laughs> couldn't hold on to it. But otherwise, Doesn't like, matter. they're actually playing kind of by the, by rules. the rules. Yeah. Yeah. So now Tom Cruise, you know what? I don't even care that so it's not real. So now the plane is Doesn't going matter. down the runway. Because Tom Cruise hanging onto it. is standing on the wing of the plane, holding Benji on. Benji opened the door. <laughs> and Benji's struggling. He can't do it. The plane takes off. And Benji as the audience. And 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 it's it's they hold on this one shot long it's it's sort of like it's like the old sideshow Bob joke where he steps on a rake and it's funny. That is like then my he steps on like three to five jokes and it's less funny. Bob joke, but then the he way. steps on six to ten rakes and yes. it just keeps getting funnier. Yes. The plane takes off and you realize Oh my God, they shot this takeoff with him hanging on. That's actually then it keeps going happening. and you're like Oh, they're kind of holding on this shot a little too long. And then it keeps going. You're like, Jesus Christ. They're so high. They took him that high. He is hanging in on the this air, plane. hanging onto the side of a plane. What the hell? And Benji, as audience surrogate surg- <laughs> here, looks up and goes, oh my God. <laughs> like, practically drops his tablet. Open the door, Benji. <laughs> Benji successfully opens like the, the wrong cargo door. Bay door. So that's that's what it makes it so funny too. He's like, okay, he's on the plane, and he opens the wrong door. <laughs> well, they have a great exchange, <laughs> Ethan. How did you get in the plane? Not in the plane, <laughs> on the plane. Open the door, Benji. 
So Benji opens the wrong door, and then he does finally open the right door. Tom Cruise ricochets. He's sucked into the plane. And, and we see what the packages are trying to get. It, it's yeah. like, we'll be told in a couple of Big, minutes. Big, evil, silver It's tubes. nerve gas. It's yeah. VX nerve gas. Yeah. And um, the whole time this is happening, the pilot of the plane has figured out that something is wrong. So he sends back one of the guys, and the guy comes out and just sort of like sees a loose hanging wire. I don't know. He goes to close the door, turns yeah. around and then sees Ethan strapping, strapping himself <laughs> into the package of VX nerve gas. And, and Tom Cruise reaches for the parachute pull ripcord. And he gives a look. Just a great look. Where this he's is like, why this man is a movie star. Shucks, man. Yeah. It, it has like, it has two meanings to it. Like on one hand, the look says, today's just not your day, kid. Sorry. And on the <laughs> other hand, he's like, can you believe I'm about to do this? Like this is, <laughs> It's pretty fucked up, right? <laughs> so the parachute opens, the package and Tom Cruise flying out, out the of the cargo plane, bay door. and then boom, <laughs> title credits. Yeah. And it's it's my favorite. Like, it's such a good sequence. We're back to showing just all the highlights of the film to come. Well, and and this, oh, this is the, because this opening scene is like the last scene in some other Mission Impossible movie we mm-hmm. haven't seen before, right? Yeah. And it's it's maybe the the most like a James Bond cold open, yep. and I don't care because it's perfect. This yeah, it's a very loose thread that magic. ties that scene to the rest of the movie. Yeah. And you can just tell when they were like planning out the screenplay for this, they were like, okay, we have to have like the best done ever. We have to top Ghost Protocol. What can we do? Well, and so various people throughout this movie are about to say versions of things to Ethan, like one day you're going to take it too far. <laughs> one day you're going to get hurt. And as I've said from day one, you you can get the vibe that Tom Cruise does. He climbs the Burj Khalifa. He's back at the top of his game. Then he does four movies that don't have impressive stunts. Yeah. In, in a row, all fail. He's like, what do they want from me? <laughs> I'll give them a plane. In the, in the first 30 seconds <laughs> of my next movie. Put me in the air, boys. Yeah. And, and, and just, I mean, we could now talk for six hours about how they filmed this. Well, so that's my question. But Do we want to talk about the stunt? We got to right talk now? about it a little bit. Yeah, we it's have just to. Amazing. Because it is, is it the best stunt of the past decade? So I stand by Burj Khalifa. Okay. Um, I actually have, um, as, as I said this, I'm, I'm not saying it is it the best stunt of the past decade. That's what many people called it, at least when the movie came out. I actually think there's another stunt in this movie that I will argue is like... Okay, so... I'm getting ahead of myself, but... I think this stunt is far better integrated into the narrative of the film than the Burj Khalifa. When the Burj Khalifa happens, the entire movie stops, and you're Mm -hmm. just appreciating the majesty of this whatever... However, I think the Burj Khalifa is just more technically impressive. So if you want to do like an apples and orange thing, I'll take it. What ultimately it comes down to for me is that this was a a stunt of mind power, Mm -hmm. right? He didn't, I believe, and I could be way wrong, he didn't have to do much physically to prepare for this. It was just about not freaking out as the plane took off. Whereas I believe there was a little more physical prep involved in climbing the Burj Khalifa. Fair. And I mean, Tom Cruise himself, he gave an interview about it. And um, he said that the night before the stunt, he couldn't sleep. He just kept going in his mind. Oh, my God, did we check everything? Because here's what makes the plane stunt so dangerous. If his harness broke while he was up there, there was nothing to catch him. There was no safety net. If Tom Cruise flew off that plane, he would have died. Well, the other thing is that they're moving so fast that if he gets hit by a bird... 
Yeah, which it's was a real fear. Like getting hit with a cannonball. So apparently a pebble did hit him while he was filming this, and he thought like it had entered his body yeah, or something like that. Yeah, he'd been like shot, basically. <laughs> um, we have to talk about the fact that they made um, eye contacts for him, but like ones that covered the entire eyeball. They're like bulletproof contact lenses. Yeah, because we need to be able to see Tom Cruise's face in the scene so we know it's him the whole time. Yeah. Um, and they're like, we can't put goggles on you, but we also can't risk you becoming. Any bit of grit that goes yeah. in your eye at that speed. You'll be blind. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just appreciate that the stunt that we see in the movie is mind blowing. And they did that eight times. To start times. your movie this way is one of the ballsiest things I've ever seen. It, it's like, we're going to start with something so far past anything you've ever seen before. And then we have to like just one up ourselves the rest of the way. Yep. I that's I, basically like what some people have said about this movie. It just it keeps trying to top itself and And look, I think we can get into a discussion of maybe does it lose its wind at the very end? Like, does it maybe finally start to sputter because it, it can't, you know? <laughs> Penny is so amped up <laughs> I'm right so now. Sorry. <laughs> it's like Penny our is excitement so is literally making her be like, what the heck is going on? But yeah, I just, I couldn't believe that they did that shot eight times. And and so here's the thing. I have seen this scene many times, even when I am not sitting down to watch this movie as a whole, I will just turn on that opening scene and still watching it. My God, still, I am as amped as I was the first time I saw it. And I think it's because kind of, as I was saying, more so than maybe any stunt since Mission Impossible 1, this one is best integrated into the plot because it's working with everything else going uh, on around it with the music, with the other characters' reactions, blah, blah, blah. So it's just, even if you have lost the initial sheen of the fancy stunt, the whole movie, this scene is still just kicking your ass from start to finish. Absolutely. So we get... That amazing scene, everyone's adrenaline is pumping. Then we have the amazing title sequence at the beginning with the fantastic score. Yes, Michael Giacchino is out. He had a conflict with, uh, it wasn't Star Wars. I want to say Star Wars, but it was not Star Wars. Whatever it was. Now we've got Joe, Joe Kramer. Kramer. Yeah, who uh, I was not familiar with, but does amazing work here. It's so good. I, I, I said it before, um, and we'll talk about it more as oh, it becomes obvious. We're going <laughs> to talk about music. Best I got, soundtrack. I got stuff up my sleeve. Okay. So speaking of music, the that next too. scene is a record shop in London. Ethan walks in. Now I'm going to stop you right here because this is important. I noticed the same thing, and I'd never seen it before. Wait, noticed what thing? Oh, the- Yes. We've got a mysterious guy in the background. I totally didn't see him. So while you were looking at him, I was writing down furiously in my notebook and underlining it, Kim, is this the best Tom Cruise haircut? (laughs) I did think about that. I think it is the best suited for him at his age. Oh, good. I just want you to give up on number two. He's 53 now. Well, in in this movie anyways, he can't wear his hair that long. That is a still a little long here. It's still kind of, you can tousle it. So I think that's like, it passes for good in my book, but um. (laughs) you're, you're out of your freaking mind, but all right, I'll take that here. I honestly think he looks the best in this movie. He's looked so far, which is wild. I think he looks like the, the most like himself. In this movie. Well, like, th- that sounds stupid. He obviously looks like himself 
all the time because he himself. But I don't know. Like when I think of Tom Cruise, the movie star, this is what he I picture. He looks very comfortable in his skin here, mm-hmm. which is not something you could always say about Tom Cruise. But yeah. he looks fantastic here. Yes, agreed. So he walks in to this record shop in London. Which has listening rooms. And there is someone in the listening room. But um, if you're like me, you're not going to notice that the first 10 times you see the movie. (laughs) Maybe you'll notice it the second. I'm bad at details. But um, he starts having a clearly coded conversation. Yeah, one of your classic like Cold War spy code checks with uh, the girl behind the counter. Yeah, and she's a young woman. um, And as she hands... Ethan, the record that he's supposed to listen to, which is a nice throwback to the TV show because I think that's how they yeah, got yeah, I th- yeah. records. Um, and Ethan accepts it because he knows he has to go into the room now and listen to his new mission. The young woman breaks the game. Like, she's got a little bit of a fangirl moment. Yeah. Kinda. She says, I've, like, is it really you? Can all the stories be true? They can't be. And, and he gives kind of a talk to us, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know. Yeah. And then he goes into the listening room. Yeah. The mission starts to unfold. And so at first it tells him. That the, he's correct. Um, the, the VX nerve gas that he rescued is. Uh, it was being stolen by the syndicate. Yes. And it's so. confirming that what Ethan has been chasing since our last movie is an actual evil organization. <laughs> I just, I'm so excited about what comes next. I'm worried I'm going to miss a detail. Okay. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> go ahead. He's getting, he's getting his mission briefing. It says, blah, blah, blah. The nerve gas you recovered, uh, you are correct in thinking that it was about to be delivered to the syndicate for their nefarious plot, which we don't know anything about. And then it starts getting weird. It's like, normally, this is where we tell you what your mission is. And Ethan kind of like cocks an eyebrow. He's like, huh? And it's like, but now, and then it starts lecturing him. It's like, you're arrogant. I can't even remember what it says. Well, it's something like your mission, should you choose to not accept it or something. Like, I, we yeah. should have looked up the exact line, but. Um, this, this is the thing. I'm, I'm going to say that I'm going to plant our flag right now. This is the wordiest and plot twistiest movie we've seen since Mission Impossible 1. It might actually be plot twistier than Mission Impossible 1. But it's 1. way easier to follow. So we are going to miss details. Yes. We are going to misquote characters. Yep. We're just going to live it and love it. And but it's we're going to be, be so excited the yes. whole time. So essentially what Ethan learns in this recording is that the syndicate is made up of all of these ex-super spy agents. And all of a sudden, and like ostensibly his mission should be to stop them. But then the recording says, but that won't happen, Ethan. And he sees all of a sudden himself on the screen that he's watching. And he realizes that the They're syndicate... They know where he is, and um, they won't stop at anything. Ethan won't be able to stop him, and Ethan can't get out of the room. He looks behind him and sees the evil villain. We don't know his name yet. No, do we know his name yet? We do not know his name. And he has the young... And we won't actually know his name for a little while. We're just right. going to know his picture. But yeah. why don't we just call him what he is right now for Solomon. Second? Solomon Lane. Such a good bad guy name. Yeah. So he has a gun to the young record store woman who's clearly a upcoming spy herself and we know ethan hates losing team members so he is freaking out in the booth but now the door is locked and and there's smoke filling the room and it's bulletproof indestructible glass and ethan's pounding on it yeah guy shoots the poor young woman yeah and ethan passes out yes cut to alec freaking baldwin which (laughs) in theory should be distracting casting for this particular role. But it's not because it's so perfect. 
his ability in this movie to deliver lines that should be abject failures <laughs> and turn them into the best moments in the film. My God. Just round of applause. Yes. So who is Alec Baldwin? He is CIA and he is doing his best to shut the IMF down. Yes. So he, he, this is the first time we get kind of like what as the project we have been doing on this uh, podcast is cataloging the many failures and fuck-ups. How the IMF is basically IMF. the worst branch of the U.S. government. And so Baldwin is testifying to like some private Senate commission saying, listen, as a CIA officer, let me tell you that I've hated these guys since the 90s when they broke into our facility and stole a knock list and gave it to an international <laughs> arms dealer. Not to mention the fact that a year ago, they let a nuke get launched because they gave nuclear launch codes to a terrorist. And the whole time Brant is there. Yes. And he is being just, he's being so droll. Droll is the word for it, where when he's asked to comment on these uh, statements, he I says, I neither that confirm nor, nor deny. deny without the express order of the secretary. <laughs> and apparently there has been no new secretary since uh, Tommy Wilkes got, got, got yeah. in the last movie. Bernie. So, <laughs> so one, it means Brant is kind of the de facto boss for the time being, which is yep. kind of funny. Two, there's something we didn't, I, I didn't mention about Coast Protocol. I just want to put this out here because Later in this movie, Ethan is going to be accused of uh, setting back U.S.-U.K. relations. To the American Revolution. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just take a moment to talk about where geopolitics in this world should be, since this movie is explicitly (laughs) referencing Ghost Protocol. So I I buzzed right past this. Tom Wilkinson in the last movie is playing the secretary. We are not told what secretary – I thought it might be Secretary of Defense. If you do a little Googling, apparently on the Mission Impossible show, they responded to the Secretary of State. So whoever he was, he was some public-facing member of the executive branch of the U.S. government. Essentially, Tom Wilkinson is supposed to be like Hillary Clinton during Barack Obama's first term. Okay. Tom Wilkinson gets executed by Russian police (laughs) (laughs) while in Russia to accept... The order of friendship. Are you the only person then that has figured this Russia, out? <laughs> then an ex-Russian <laughs> nuclear technician launches a nuke at the U.S. We should be not even in World War III at this point. Everything we should, should have be gone up to World War V. Obliterated. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just sh- so the idea that the Senate it. has time to consider shutting down IMF when arguably they should be in the worst geopolitical disaster since World War II. Doesn't That's matter. all I wanted to point out. That's you know what I I truly do think you are maybe the only person to have picked up on it? that. Well, there we go. <laughs> Just gotta like suspend your disbelief there. I will say that I found, I did chuckle a little bit when um the whatever the council is that is hearing out um yeah. Alec Baldwin. Uh, they say to Brandt, you know, the successes that you have had look curiously like luck. And yes. that was absolutely the case for the last movie and maybe every single movie. Brandt gives this like, are there methods unorthodox? Sure. <laughs> are there results less than ideal? Maybe. <laughs> but <laughs> in giving, the end. <laughs> he's giving what sounds like a real half More defense. good than harm. Right, guys? <laughs> yes. But uh, Brandt. Not particularly successful here. And uh, IMF is, are, are they disbanded or are they just like put on pause? Or well, they're, no, they're under investigation. No, well, they officially get shut down, which is very confusing because they got shut down in the last movie. 
I don't understand how they opened back up without them having replaced the secretary, only to shut them down again. It's, we just got to throw another big stunt at yep. you so you forget just about all going. of this. And <laughs> we're about to get something pretty freaking great. Oh my God. The next scene. Cut back to Ethan. Ethan. He wakes up. He is. It's like the shot is sort of like you, the camera is basically at his waistline and it's looking up at him. So his hands are tied up behind his head on this pole. He's not wearing a shirt. He's clearly just coming now, to. He's wearing low rise jeans. In this I scene. made a note. I said the that? stylist figured it out. They were like the, the pants were too high in Ghost Protocol. So the pants are where they should be. And he doesn't look like he's just half rib cage. He looks spectacular. <laughs> just and muscles everywhere. Into this deep, dark He's in some sort of dungeon. Walks. This mysterious woman. Played by Rebecca Ferguson. We don't know this woman's name yet. No. But. She takes her shoes off. Yep. On the table, she puts a rabbit's foot keychain. Yep. The first of many callbacks we're going to get. Yep. Across this movie and the next one to previous installments in the Mission Impossible franchise. And she starts walking towards him as the door opens and a bunch of kind of nameless goons walk in well actually one of them has a name he's the bone doctor yeah (laughs) best name maybe um but there is some sort of like really intense eye contact between this mysterious woman and ethan and ethan doesn't know what to make of it you can tell he's trying to figure figure it out okay so let's just do this right now get it out of the way you quoted to me uh tom cruise's birthday uh last episode what was it 1962 or or 63 okay we're going to find out in this movie that uh, this character and this actor's birthday, 1983. Gross, problematic. <laughs> We're highlighting it. Because I mean, I'm going to make the case for why this is the it. best romance in the series because <laughs> it is. But there, we flagged it. Absolutely it absolutely is. We flagged it. It sucks, but she is fucking amazing in this movie she's so good romance works so well well we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves but she (laughs) is ethan's match she is the female ethan hunt oh i got except better i got so much (laughs) so the bone doctor walks in starts taking out saws and a hammer and says he's gonna interrogate ethan to get I don't really know what I whatever. I, it doesn't even matter yeah. because as the bone doctor is approaching Ethan, a mysterious woman. I well, her name's Ilsa, but Ilsa, so, Il, Ilsa is in the background, and she just basically has a silent conversation with Ethan, where she shows that she's got the keys that will release him, and he needs to make a move. And so he does. He kicks the bone doctor conveniently right into a pole, which is just in the middle of this dungeon. He and, gets uh, knocked unconscious. He's knocked unconscious. And then. But he's still tied up. So what does Ilsa Faust do? I'll tell you what she do, does. <laughs> she kills two men with a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> this is our introduction to this character. And her fighting style is so fucking badass. Like, w- like she's a woman, right? Ba- like, versus guys who have a hundred pounds on her and she's so smart and tactical about how she smarts uh, about how she fights and one of the coolest moves that she does is she basically like leaps onto guys's shoulders and like twists her legs in such a way that they get knocked to the ground and it is it's very feminine but it's also just yeah so, so i was thinking about this you know i am very fond of making hyperbolic statements on this podcast that i can't back up but <laughs> let me just go with it go so Rebecca Ferguson trained for six months before this movie yep. to do these fight scenes. She looks like a fighter in this movie. Yes. Has there been a 
better martial arts performance by an actor who was not primarily a martial artist since The Matrix? I don't because these fight think scenes so. are electric. They they're are so good, amazing. They're they're better than any fight scenes we've seen anywhere in the franchise. And like while this is happening, while Ilsa is kicking ass in such an amazing, impressive, unique way. <laughs> I'm just calling him Tom Cruise because it's Tom Cruise that did this. Tom Cruise he, does the Mulan move. He shimmies himself up the pole and leaps off. Are you not going to give me points for calling it the Mulan move? <laughs> that, that was a pretty good move. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Mulan was facing the pole. Whatever. Ethan but is he's upside using down. The strap. <laughs> Friction with the strap to climb up the pole so he can jump off. Yeah. And now they are fighting together and they are fighting. <sighs> In so, a so, beautiful so, symphonic union, it's I am just, again getting ahead of myself, but I, I just want to put this out now. From day one of his career until this moment, Tom Cruise has been criticized about not having believable um, chemistry with his female co-stars. We have talked, well, we're not the only ones, but we mm-hmm. have talked about how he is a gifted, gifted physical performer. Yes. This is the first movie that has the brilliant idea, what if we have Ethan flirt what if we have tom cruise romance someone not with words but with physicality and have him (laughs) paired with someone who is as much a physical actor it's so good it made me think quite frankly of figure skaters and you know we're canadians this past winter (laughs) like the whole world lost a goddamn mind yes but that's what it felt like it felt like two people who are so in sync just on a level of Body movement. Instinctively, they know how to move around one another and they know how to support one another and back one another up. And it's so funny, once they've basically decimated everyone in the room, Ethan looks at Ilsa and says, We've never never met before, before, right? (laughs) And Ilsa just doesn't have time. She's like, Okay, we got to get you out of here. Bone Doctor starts waking up and. I think it's Yannick. I think that's his actual name in the movie, but Bone Doctor. They only call him Bone Doctor after he introduces himself as Bone Doctor. So um, Ethan and Ilsa start to escape, and Ilsa closes a barred door behind I'm in front of her, so Ethan is now able to escape, but Ilsa is staying behind. And so information gets doled out slowly across this movie, and... Penny's just warming up for the opera we're going to have to recite in a little bit. It's okay. Um, She's just working out her vocals. Info is doled out slowly across this movie, and it's hard to keep track of one, but basically it seems like Ethan gets the idea that she is an undercover agent who is trying to protect her cover. Yes. I think that's all we know at this point. Yes. So this makes her even more badass because she's not only just rescued Ethan Hunt, but now she's headed right back into danger. (laughs) She's like, you go get to safety, Silly little man. I have to go take <laughs> I down the I got a job to do. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we cut to our next scene. Ethan right gets that. out. Yeah. Uh, really nice shot of him like running towards the camera as he's surrounded by a spray of bullets. Yes. He gets out and immediately calls Brant. Yes. And Brant has to I, break the news. I don't want to like, like quibble, but this is a thing because this is not a Mission Impossible. Pro- this just drives me crazy in all spy movies. And this goes back to like Mission Impossible 1. You call into the leader of the spy world's phone, and he's like, hey, this is Brant. And then you go, go secure. And he's got to <laughs> press a button, and then his phone just goes secure. Why wouldn't it just always be secure? <laughs> Do you think he's getting calls from like his wife and kids on that same phone? Maybe it just, it's just like one of those things where we still say when we hang up the phone, 
we don't actually hang up phones now. We just press a button. But it's just like it's a habit thing. People are used to it. But it's he comforting. has to actually press a button and then his phone says secure. <laughs> so I don't think you um, have a problem with the movie. I think you need to write a, level, a letter to, I don't All know. All of the spy the, community? Yes. yes. <laughs> the fictional spy community. Dear spy community. Love Bill. Dear Nokia. Build a, be- <laughs> build a better spy phone. Okay. okay. Quibble out of the way. Yes. He calls into Brant. Brant says, sorry, mate. Uh, Can't help you. We've been shut down, and in fact, I've been ordered to bring you in. And Ethan says, we never had this call. Bye. Just ignore me. Yeah. Baldwin comes in doing a great, um, arrogant, threatening Baldwin, where he's like, set your watch. This is the last day Ethan is a free man. Cut to a title card saying, six months later. I know. It's so good. Can I just take a moment here to appreciate the title cards in not just this movie, but the entire franchise? And one thing that I noted, I'm I, I'm getting ahead of myself, but we're talking about title yeah, cards. Yeah. I love that they put Vienna, comma, Austria. <laughs> like, I what, was very what other Vienna? Vienna, Manitoba. <laughs> and it's like a shot of the opera house. Like, it's unmistakable, but I don't know. Maybe it's just like a template that they have to go by. Yep. Anyway, as someone who is terrible at geography, I always appreciate that. Yeah. So, um, six months later, we've sort of got this like, um, sorry, Ethan is living in like an attic somewhere and he's surrounded by like, it's like a beautiful mind. He's got stuff on all the walls. He's clearly tracking. He's done another one of his drawings. He's rocking a full beard. Have we ever seen Tom Cruise do that? No, and I have to believe that it's a fake beard. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but that's neither here nor yep. there. Brant and uh, I'm just going to call him Baldwin. Like, I know he's Hunley, but. <laughs> he's Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. In the way that Ethan Hunt is actually Tom Cruise. Like, yes. it's, anyway. <laughs> Brant and Baldwin are in a, like, control room watching uh, a mission take place as, as we are led to believe. It's the old Silence of the Lambs trick. We are led to believe that their hit team is closing is in closing in on Ethan. on Hunt. Surprised or not, he yes. has outsmarted them once again. And uh, do we? Am- he, he's left them a little message. Uh, basically, he's he's left part of his beautiful mind wall on yeah. this uh, in this in this apartment in Cuba. Uh, basically, showing them a bunch of real hard evidence as to why the syndicate is real. Yeah, that that the syndicate has been pulling strings around the world, engineering chaos and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So they fail to get Ethan in Cuba. Cut to... Benji playing Benji. video games. He's playing, he's playing <laughs> At Halo. work. Benji has been reassigned to the CIA and he's playing Halo on his computer. Yeah. I got to imagine the CIA computers. They probably have... Are not capable of playing Halo. No, or maybe it's like the most high-tech version of Halo ever. Right. It's the actual combat simulator. Yeah, exactly. And I thought this was just such a great Benji scene because it's everything that is like adorable and naive about Benji in one shot. So he's playing this so, video game. He's got a little mirror set up. So when like the intern or whatever comes up to deliver his mail, he switches back to like what's clearly like some fake work up on so the I screen. So I got to put this out here now. I'm not even going to wait. I'm just going to like say this now. If throughout the first half of this movie, I started to panic that we screwed the pooch last week in giving Benji the most valuable player award because in my mind that was the only movie where he qualifies oh man benji <laughs> ben, benji might be the most valuable player this week he's so I, good i i think we can get we'll we'll get well, into that argument later but this is the movie where the team is just like the most 
teamy. Like, we know these characters now. We have a history with them. We have relationships with them. And their friendships have deepened. And so it's not just Benji being great. It's the fact that we don't, we're not meeting new people. So we know these people and we care about them already. And so when yeah. they do their thing, it's just we we like it all that much more. Yes. Because we've we've built the foundation. Exactly. <laughs> So Benji, um, it, it, Benji's mail. Yes, um, Benji's mail arrives. This is what I thought was just so sweet because obviously Benji would totally believe that he had won tickets to see an opera in Vienna. Turindo or Turindot, depending on which pronunciation you accept. He Apparently, just looks so delighted. Wikipedia tells me there's a debate. <laughs> well, That's you all correct my pronunciation. As far as my uh, goes. But you're right. The, the, the series has really built this character up to a point where you – will believe that he is both someone who would play video games at work and be excited to go to the opera. <laughs> but and that is a testament to Simon Pegg, because very few people can pull that off. But it's not even that. He is a field agent with the IMF, which is probably like the most elite spy team ever when it's not falling apart from the inside. And he genuinely believes that he won this contest, which he clearly did not enter. <laughs> well, it's a, yeah. It never occurs to him that maybe this He's is a ruse. Set up. And, like, here's the thing. We know that it's Ethan who's bringing him to Vienna, or at least yeah, we figured I mean, it out really fast. Presume. So Benji yeah. doesn't know that. It could be the syndicate. Benji Benji gets hauled into a, what appears to be his weekly polygraph with yeah. Baldwin. And he has some great lines here where he's just being cheeky. Yeah. And he kind of shit talks Ethan here. Yeah. He says, you know, you expect me to be in cahoots with Ethan. Nothing could be farther from the truth. The guy, yeah. like... He doesn't say this, but he basically says, the guy broke my heart. Like, he's yeah. my friend. He abandoned me, and now I'm stuck here talking with you. Having to deal with you, with you. Yeah. yeah. So, and you don't know whether or not it's real. Like, right, because he's hooked he up to a polygraph, and it's telling us it's true, yeah. But maybe he's also an amazing, amazing maybe field. he's a very good spy, yes, yeah, yes, who knows. Yes. Um, so, what happens, what's the next scene after that? He basically, he gets out of the polygraph, really pissed off, and decides he's going to fly to Vienna for the weekend. <laughs> Doesn't think twice about it. Um, to go see the opera. He gets and now off, we are in Vienna, comma, comma Austria. Austria. <laughs> he gets off the subway in Vienna in a tux. Simon Pegg is looking great. Very sharp. I say, yeah. And within two seconds, a stranger basically shoulder checks him and slams an envelope into his chest. The envelope contains a playbill for Durando mm -hmm. and a pair of glasses. Very cool pair of glasses. Puts in the glasses. And all of a sudden, Hi. It's Ethan. Hey, buddy. How you been? <laughs> and then we get, like, just Benji and Ethan being buds. Yeah. And at one point, Benji does say, I guess I didn't win those tickets. <laughs> just... And it's a really nice, it's a really nice <laughs> dynamic because, like, Luther and Ethan are equals and are buddies. Yeah. Benji feels like... The little kinda, brother. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The little brother whose big brother went off to college and is now, like, you know, yeah. a little a little angry, but also just excited to get to hang out with him. And he's he's going on a spy mission again. Yeah. And so Ethan gives him his mission, which is basically that Ethan is tracking um bad guy Solomon Lane. Solomon Lane. Lane. I don't, don't know, know his if name, name. yeah, we don't know his name yet. But what he needs is Benji to um track the audience and use facial recognition based off of the little drawing that Ethan did. Yes. Yeah, so the the uh, Austrian Chancellor is gonna be present at the opera. Ethan has reason to believe that Solomon and Lame is going to try to assassinate him at the show. So Ethan and Benji are going to stop him. Yeah. And so the other thing to point out is that the role that music plays in this scene, the scene. We didn't mention something. Okay. When Ethan first lays eyes on Rebecca Ferguson, 
uh, Ilsa Faust, the score just gently goes. And it becomes her theme. And I, I'm looking this up because it's important. Oh, my gosh. Where, where is the note that I put on it? Are so, we talking about Nason Dorma? We, I think we have to because... So, Nason Dorma. Let's talk about Nason Dorma. <laughs> this is the opera Nason Dorma is, here to is see, the aria. No, it's the aria from Turindo. I okay. Have, I have sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. This. <laughs> this is, this is uh, one of the great tenor... Arias, you, 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 two weeks ago, we sat here and you shamed me for not knowing what the goddamn train problem was. <laughs> that, I didn't shame you. There's so just, I getting, didn't know what you're talking about. Now you're getting about. Billy's opera corner. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Revenge. This is one of the great tenor arias. Uh, Pavarotti does a version. I'm pretty sure Placido Domingo does a version. It falls into the category of songs that are overused in film and television. Okay. So, uh, what else would go into this category? I don't know. Bob O'Reilly by the who stuff where it's just used too often and, and kind of loses its power. Nason Dorma, like every five years or so it pops up in a movie and, and like it's been used in spy movies before it, it comes up at the end of some of all fears. I, I'm pretty sure like chasing Liberty. Is that the, the, um, the, the Mandy Moore is the president's daughter or something. I know it was on Britain's got talent. Boy, at a certain right. point, whatever. So in theory, <laughs> this song should be played to death. Boy, it isn't. These guys managed to wring some more power out of it, but we're not quite there just yet. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. So Benji gets set up. Turns out his Turindo playbill is actually a laptop. Yeah. Which is really cool. It, it is very cool. Yeah. There's a lot of USB technology in this movie that I wonder how that's going to age. Yeah. But I love it. It doesn't matter. Um, Benji has a great line. We can't gloss over it where he is now in position and he just says sarcastically, join IMF, see the world on a screen. <laughs> yeah. And closet. I think, you know, Luther doesn't <laughs> complain when he's at a computer. Like, come on, Benji, you're in Vienna. But <laughs> Benji just want to, he wants to wear masks and be a field agent. Oh, it breaks my heart later in the, well. <laughs> okay. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Wait, you have more to say about this opera. Oh, well, we, we, we did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So the opera is starting, and we are seeing three different people walk in, um, and we're just seeing the backs of their heads. One is a police officer, one is a dude in a tuxedo, um, and then later we will see a woman. But they all seem to have guns. So it's two kind of suspiciously beefy blonde dudes. Yep. And Rebecca Ferguson. Ilsa wearing a stunning dress yikes what is there to say about this dress um we should set it up now because i'm gonna have questions later in a segment that most likely we're gonna have to cut okay uh not a lot to this dress she has a lot of free leg movement there you go area okay yeah she is uh, she's a knockout and when Ethan sees her like first of all you can see his two conflicting things where he's like hey there's that woman but he's also like damn she looks good yeah so Ethan is trying to find the assassin who he thinks is going to be Solomon Lane but now three different people have showed up and we see them assembling guns yeah so as Ethan is walking around as the opera is going on he sees a guy kind of up at the catwalks assembling a gun out of like a flute or something. Yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So Ethan does some like amazing rope parkour. He just like jumps onto the rope and he's like climbing through the opera ceiling and starts fighting with this guy on a catwalk. Well, the music is still playing. And here's the thing. I, I like, I'm not the first person to say this, but a lot of like action movies, Kung Fu movies, like they're noted for their musicality, right? Like it's yeah. like it, we've, we have called his actions ballet before. Yeah. 
And it's so artful how it plays out. And just the opera, by the way, I'm going to point out a note. It's about a, it's a, a prince and a princess or something. But it's like yes. a man and a woman who test each other. Yes. And Nesun Dorma, the song that is going to be the climax of this scene, which we will get to. Okay. <laughs> is about the prince asserting that he is going to win the icy heart of the it's princess. It's very clever. It's, it's over all the top. It. It's all, it's all <laughs> great. But so Ethan starts having this brutal fight with this guy. And... They actually, they, I, I like when Tom Cruise is able to kind of joke about his height because yeah. they have a great scene where they kind of like, they the fall guy, onto the ground together and yeah. then they stand up together. And the guy just keeps, keeps going. standing up. <laughs> and Ethan just looks up like, oh, <laughs> and then takes him out at the knees. Yeah. Um, but so they get into a great fight as the catwalks are going up and down because Benji is fucking things up yep. in the control room. Yeah. Um, and we are seeing the other people Get into up. position. So Ethan, basically, he does. He flips around. He has this guy, and he's about to, like, be able to kind of kill him. But as he is, like, getting the drop on this guy, he sees both Rebecca Ferguson is hiding. Ilsa. In a, Ilsa is hiding mm-hmm. in a piece of um, it's like a, scenery. Yeah. With a different flute gun. Yeah. And the chancellor. And there's a cop in, like, the lighting room who has a baton gun and... He has a vague idea, like they're about to shoot the chancellor. And yeah. so he has the one guy, there's Rebecca Ferguson, there's the cop in there. And he's like, I only have one bullet one in this shot. flute gun. What am I going to do? And as he's doing this, he's going, the music, undorma, yes. <laughs> and, and so Ethan does my favorite thing he does in any part of the series he shoots the chancellor in the arm. But it's so good. And you have to like, like that. that. Honestly, Uh, didn't know you were such a talented singer. I've been practicing that all week. I've been singing it to my dog. (laughs) You are a little puppy dog. Okay. Ow, I can't breathe. I actually pulled something doing that. Oh my god! I'm so excited is, to talk about this movie. This is I'm why. so glad we have this on record. I apologize deeply <laughs> to your neighbors. No, uh, so never apologize. That was amazing. Shoots the chancellor in the arm. So okay, but like I wanted to pulls him out. Yeah, but like okay. I literally pulled something. <laughs> Do we need to pause? Do you need to stretch? No, it's okay. We can keep. Do you going. need an ice pack? I'm fine. I'll live. <laughs> Maybe now's a good moment for you to take another sip of that cocktail there, friend. Uh, we uh, need what are we to, drinking this week? Well, it, you came up with it, so you. Well, it's a, we're drinking a classic cocktail called the Aviation. Gin. Um, it's gin and maraschino liqueur. It, it comes out with a nice blue color. The reason we're drinking something called the Aviation, obviously. Because there was the plane in the, plane. the movie. So yeah. you will see our version of the Aviation has Chad strapped to the side of it. Yep. So that anytime you <laughs> lift the Aviation, he takes off with it. Exactly. Yes. That's just, we wanted to point that out, so. I have interrupted you nine different <laughs> times to make one opera joke, so please. No, that was um, a joke I didn't know I needed in my life, and now I'm so glad that it's here. Okay. <laughs> um, I just wanted to take a moment to appreciate, again, just Tom Cruise being a great actor, because as Ethan has to make a choice, he's got the one bullet, and he's got Ilsa, Ilsa? other guy, the and the music is just building. It's just such a good scene. His eyes are darting everywhere, and then at the last minute, he aims at the chancellor and gets him in the shoulder, and you're like, of course, Brilliant. Ethan did it. So good. And Ilsa starts freaking out. The guard. Yeah, basically, um, secret, Austrian Secret Service pulls him out of the way before either of the other guys can shoot him. Yeah. And now Ilsa is on the run. Well, yeah, they decide they're going to evacuate the theater, so everybody's running out as the cops are coming in. Ilsa's running away. 
And then Ethan, who like just witnessed her about to assassinate the Austrian chancellor, is like, yeah, I got a way out of here. If, uh, uh, you want you want to join in, but um, uh, well, like he just he knows there's something about her. He's smitten, and <laughs> here's something I love about this relationship. And I know I'm getting ahead of our of us here, but throughout this movie, you know, a lot of classic romantic tension, right? If you're if you're trying to to write drama or whatever and have stakes, you have one character who likes the other character more and the other character has to like come around to it. Yeah. Or you have one character who is able to be open with their feelings and the other one isn't and has to reveal it later. Or they're both equally into it, but there's something in the way. These guys are just on equal playing field. They're both into it. They're both open. And it just, it makes for this incredibly effective it's chemistry. You're it's, just into it. From, go, and so talking about physicality, Ethan takes her up to the roof. I wanted to take a moment and just say, I when I started my rewatch, the first of the three, well, yeah. the, the last two again, it was just like on in the background. But um, when they are running on the roof and Ethan leaps down to a lower level. Shoes, please. Like, Ilsa very. Shoes, please. <laughs> Ilsa very correctly is like, I can't run in these fucking heels. Take them off. It's an oddly intimate famously. moment oh, between the intimate. two of them. Yeah. Well, and, and famously, this was the year of uh, Jurassic, Jurassic World. World yeah. Where yada, yada. she runs in the heels. And okay, so this was a fun thing I found on the internet this morning. And the internet is always true. Um, <laughs> apparently, <never> they, um, <laughs> when the controversy was happening around, you know, what, what's her Bryce Dallas Howard? Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah. When she's running in her high heels away from the T-Rex. And it's like the best scene in that movie. It's a great scene. I love that movie. So it's, it's just a little. But it is one of those like, oh, all the women. And superheroes are always in skin tight clothing with their boobs well, hanging out. It's also just a bizarre one. Like that fir- that first Jurassic World had Laura Dern mm-hmm. in like hiking boots and khakis. Y- yeah, you know, like she touches poop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fudge! What is the what is the Goldblum line like? It's a big pile of dino <laughs> that's a, shit. No, that's something. a that's a big pile of shit. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yes, she she gives her shoes over. Yeah, I just I just want to talk about this one move because talking mm-hmm. about physicality, the two. So Ethan finds a rope, slings it to a flagpole, pulls it, and the flagpole kind of jangles, and he's like, "Oh, oh this, this is gonna might, hold. This might not work." She just jumps onto it. I don't know how to describe it. She just <laughs> clings onto him. Like I don't understand how she, she can spider hold monkeys him. Yes, yeah. exactly. I don't understand how she can hold herself up like that. I also don't understand how like Tom Cruise doesn't even. Buckle. It's like yep. it's like a gerbil jumped he onto him. He is pure muscle. Well, sinew more than and the two of them. They else. are like figure skaters. Yep. It's just they're in harmony. They slide down the flagpole. Yep. Make a take graceful one landing. One step forward, and then the flagpole comes crashing down. They both look a little embarrassed, and then they just walk away, and, arm in and, arm, and just the way they are moving in sync. I am immediately more invested in them than I have been in. Any other Ethan romance. I mean, they're matched and it's something new that we haven't seen before with yes. Ethan. And one of like, I, I suppose you could say he was well matched with Naya as well. And like, I really, but she had to be rescued the whole movie. And I came around to Naya at the end, mm-hmm. but after the you, chimera, you were weird. I, I know you were into Naya right at the beginning. Yeah. Their romance at the start. It was, was too a long. Rocky for me. Yeah. This though, I'm just, I'm loving everything they're doing. Yep. And it's, it's, it's like a thing of, you know, especially like, you know, Tom Cruise at this point, 
he's he sort of lost his cool and now people respect him for being an obsessive and it's like yeah let's just partner him with another obsessive yeah and it 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 works. works. Um, I'm going to take us back a step to do my yes, petty sorry. call out I'm thing. So no, 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 because this is, I think it's funny and I don't want to, well, no, it's not funny, but it's also classy. So the, everyone on the internet is angry about the fact that Bryce Dallas Howard is running in high, high heels, heels in Jurassic world. And then they've just cut this movie in which they literally have a scene in which Elsa has her shoes removed so she can run. And, um, there was apparently talk at uh, like whatever production company, there's a b- billion of them on this movie, um, about releasing a teaser trailer or some sort of featurette like showing her having her yeah. shoes removed just to see, just sort of basically go, yeah, yeah, we're the reels, like action movie of the yeah. summer. And apparently Tom Cruise and McCory said no. Yeah. That would be too like twisting the knife. Yeah. So they, that was a classy of them. They yeah. took the high road. Moving on. <laughs> So Benji swings around, picks up Ethan and Ilsa. Yes. They get into the car. So just speaking of this dress, that is not particularly. It is. Ethan then says, you know, I'm going to have to search you. And my first thought was, where are you going to look? What could she be hiding? And then he continues to search her, though. And and she makes all of these things. Grunts. Yes. I, well, no, she makes eye contact, and there's like a little bit of eyebrow lifting. There, this is a, this is a. I was getting embarrassed by this scene. It, it was, it was a bit much. I, I like, especially if when MJ he, walks in right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it was especially like it's so. Like I've made fun of Tom Cruise in the past for when he touches w- women's faces, jawline, yeah. but like when he kind of pulls her towards himself to like dig this weird ice pick thing out of her hair. Like it is yes, this oddly intimate yes. moment. And this is, he just keeps pulling weapons out. Yeah. <laughs> Where did she keep that? A little bit that? of a clown car joke. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the great, he pulls the lipstick and she goes, that is a, a very, very hard, hard shade to find. And so, uh, he puts it in his pocket cause he knows it's important. And Benji the whole time is like, uh, guys, uh, why is she here? She shot at me. Like what's happening. And, and Ethan's like, we're going to get you out. We're going to get you safety. And she's like, no, you, you can't blow my cover. I got to yeah. go back. I got to make this look like an escape. Yeah. She says, we both want the same thing. And you have everything you need to find me. Exactly. So she throws herself Swan out of the dives car. Out the car. <laughs> like, and it looked painful. Yeah. And here's the thing. That probably was a stunt double. But if it, like, whoever that is got knocked around on this cobbly road. Well, and so like, look, I just, I don't want to undercut this for a second. Maybe that was a stunt double, but. You know, Tom Cruise gets all the points for doing the stunts by himself. The work Rebecca Ferguson did to do the fight scenes mm-hmm. here is Tom Cruise level commitment. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's just uh, the two of them together. They're like the perfect pair. Hearts everywhere. Hearts everywhere. So um, back to the chancellor. He did. He died. Yep. There was so, a bomb of the car. Car blew up. So after all that, uh, didn't matter because he was going to die no matter what. Um we yeah. eventually learned like Solomon Lane. Like there was a Solomon plot Lane around this. Solomon really covered all his yeah, bases. Yeah, he thought he about three every assassins and possible. a car bomb. Yeah, and this was a test for Ilsa. Yeah. Should we talk about that now? Sure. Yeah. So basically Solomon is questioning Ilsa's loyalty to After after the whole Ethan Hunt escape. Yeah. He now wonders if Ilsa isn't yeah. A, a double agent. And so this was her test where she was supposed to go prove her loyalty by killing the Chancellor. And now she has failed that her loyalty test 
twice. Yeah. So he had, he had sent two other assassins so that if she failed or if she chickened out, one could shoot the chancellor, the other could shoot the chancellor and there'd be a car bomb just just in case. case. Because Solomon Lane is kind of like Ethan and they're, they're setting this up that he's like the anti Ethan. The syndicate is the anti IMF and Solomon Lane is the anti Ethan. Yeah. He is also obsessive and gets the job done. Yeah. So Chancellor's now dead, and Hunt is blamed for that. Um, yes, and he's now on shoot to kill with the CIA. Yes, it's bad. And so is this when... Um, Ethan then takes Benji to his little secret boat lab. Right, right, right. Which looks to be like, you know, a sort two of decades like, out of yeah. date IMF safe house. Very similar to the train car from Ghost Yeah, Protocol. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he basically gives uh, Benji his cover story. So he's like, okay, so you're going to go back. You're going to tell them that you actually I, thought you won the trip. And I was like, he I did actually think you. he won the trip. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he starts to get kind of mean to Benji here. Benji's like, no, I want to stick, stick around. And Ethan's like. And ben, uh, well, Ethan's like, I can't protect you. Yeah. You could get hurt. And this is where we get like a really great Benji moment. Benji puts his foot down. He says, no, I'm a field agent. And more importantly, you're my friend. I'm going to help you. So I'm going to, at the end of all this, slightly cruelly compare this movie to Mission Impossible 3. But the only thing I want to flag right now, Simon, per- Simon Pegg is a character we've now spent two movies with. Well, three, and- technically. Because he has like a very, very brief moment in um, three. Right. And then and four. And then four. And now this is his third movie. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So we spent two with him. But now... Even though we already know this character, they are taking a lot of time to put Benji front and center in our mind and to just double down on his relationship with Ethan. Yep. Because this is going to pay off later and we will talk about it when we talk about it. Yes. He's just very vulnerable right now. He's so vulnerable. He just wants to help out. He just wants to wear a mask. (laughs) So Ethan accepts his help and lays out basically the mission. I've been tracking the syndicate. They appear to be made up of spies from all around the world. There's Mossad, there's MI6, there's whatever, who are presumed dead. But they're not. They've actually joined this team, and this team has been... um, They're responsible for, like, worldwide terrorist events, which it turns out are actually covers for... Like, there's a plane crash in which the president of a world bank is destroyed at the same time that they destroy a hedge fund or something it's it's like when all these things are added up they end up causing civil war and exactly from the outside they just look like senseless attacks or accidents but they are actually very carefully orchestrated to to change the world to change the world yeah so they got to stop it they got to stop it and benji's on board cut to brant waiting at a helicopter pad he needs help. He needs help because Brant has decided he's not going to let uh, Baldwin just shoot his friends. M- Merc <laughs> Ethan, who gets off of a helicopter. Luther looking wearing, fine. I'm pretty sure it's a different pork pie hat. He, but he's got a lot of hats the in this movie. Great angle. Yeah. And what we learn here is that um, first of all, Luther's absence from the last movie is sort of explained away in a well, kind yeah. of an aside, like he's it retired us, or no, well, he's quit. He's just not in the game anymore. And also, it seems from like the very start here, it, it's it when he was working, 
he was senior enough to kind of be leading like his own missions. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not reporting to anyone else. Like he was in Malaysia doing his own thing. And then Benji just calls him whenever he needs help. Yeah. <laughs> but assistance, it's different from help. Brant That's wants fine from the movie. Right. <laughs> just like locate is different from fine. Yeah. Which I still don't understand. <laughs> but Yes, Brant uh, wants Luther to help him find Ethan so he can get to Ethan first so that... Yep. And Luther doesn't know Brant and doesn't trust him yet, and he makes it very clear. And if he says... I have one second of doubt... And then he just like... Whose side you're on, cocks his head and he goes... Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he makes kind of like a Tim Taylor... <laughs> and Brant, like, to his credit, like, he's probably, like, internally rolling his eyes, he's like, but yep, he's like, yep, nope. okay, got yep, it, very cool. clear. So now we have our two uh, bro teams. We've got Brant and Luther, and we've got Benji and Ethan. Yeah, and so this is a little bit of a frustrating thing, is that they've finally given this franchise, like, well, I mean, I mean, no, we, full points deny it, but we, we, we get this awesomely fully realized badass female character with agency. Mm-hmm. And is she the only woman in this movie? There are, well, aside from like, Record Store speaking, Girl, oh, girl who gets all right, there is killed record at the beginning, store girl. and the Chancellor's wife who says, if anything happened to you, <laughs> and then they blow up. <laughs> so yes, it is It is a bro-ier team than we've seen for a while. But we for, well, like, but it's them. fine, because there's a <laughs> dynamic there, and they love yeah, each other, and they do. <laughs> we love that. So, um, so team one is set up and now we, well, well, no, they're team two. Like clearly the team with Ethan and Benji is team one. Benji and Ethan are team one. (laughs) Um, so they, um, have figured out where they need to go next and it is through the lipstick. The lipstick she left is actually a USB key, which again, I could make that spy tool. (laughs) But anyway. But maybe not in that shade. It's a very difficult shade. It has, right. (laughs) It has an address in Morocco. And can I just take another moment here to just, this is a deliberate love story and a match of equals so being set up here. where are they going? Casablanca. Oh, it's perfect. Obviously, the only place our budding romance could take place in is Casablanca. It's, well, and, and not to mention, like, wartime spies, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's... And the way that she's marked their door for them so they know which house is hers, it's just like she's kissed a piece of paper, so it's just her lip. And tacked it up to mouth. the door. This, it's, it's so good. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like it's cheesy, but it's pitch perfect for this it movie. It's fantastic. Well, here, okay. So here's another thing I want to say about this movie. The whole thing walks such this. The whole thing walks such a thin line between comedy. Well, no, not even comedy. Just like being a complete Silliness. parody yeah. of itself. Yeah. But it plays it all with such a straight face that. You take it seriously. It's you know it's like stupid, but you love they it. They took Ghost Protocol and just dialed it down one notch. Yeah. And in doing so, I mean, I'm not ready to rank these two movies yet, so I'm not <laughs> saying better or worse, but they really have found a sweet spot in yeah. terms of silliness versus seriousness. It's, and it's perfect, and why I love this movie so much. Yeah. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, so we walk into the compound. And I just of- want to point out. I think this movie might have my favorite costumes. Okay. Uh, Ethan and Simon Pegg are wearing fantastic, like, summer weight suits in Morocco. Yeah. And then later when we're back in London, I'm getting ahead of myself, everybody's wearing, like, <laughs> excellent fall layers. <laughs> including including Ilsa. There are a bunch of different outfits. I well, I was going to say my favorite Tom Cruise outfit is actually in this movie. I thought it was going to forever be oh, the leather minute. jacket from Ghost wait Protocol. Minute. Wait a minute. Is but... It- 
should we save well, it? We're going to save I, it. Okay. Because I'm having a psychic <laughs> moment with you now. I think I know what it is. We're, you know I exactly know what it is. We'll, we'll yeah. get there. Yeah. Okay. So um, they're walking into the compound. Ilsa is, of course, uh, because why wouldn't she be emerging from a body of water? That's yeah. such a James Bond classic move. But she is holding her breath and timing herself. Yeah, she's got a cool little spy gadget yeah. uh, on her wrist. Uh, they don't dwell on that right now. Oxygen. Yeah. Um, but she says, oh, hello, boys, or something like to that effect. And um, let's just get right to it. They talk about what they have to do in order to bring down the syndicate. So she says there is a vault in Morocco. I And I am having trouble mm-hmm. keeping track of all that. I don't know who runs this vault or whatever. Doesn't but matter. Some sort of whatever. It contains details about the syndicate because – this, this is what they're telling Ethan mm-hmm. because uh, Solomon Lane stored it there, I guess. But now that spies know about it, Solomon wants to get it out so no one could steal it. So they have to steal it first. Essentially, it is another knock list. But it's like this. But it's yeah, it's um, a list of all the syndicate members. Again, I just have to say bad guys everywhere out there. Stop consolidating all of your resources on one piece of paper, Uh, which if found would break everything for you. (laughs) Which should maybe tip Ethan off to the fact that this is too good to be true. (laughs) But now let me ask you this. Is this the granddaddy of all heist planning scenes? It's so good good because it's meta. It plays out for you. Okay, so it shows them what they have to do to break into. Well, I'm going to stop and say because I missed the important part where um, Ilsa is saying to Ethan and Benji that it's impossible to break into right. this. No, no, no. She has a real great line where she goes, it's impossible. Pause. <laughs> and Ethan just kind of smirks yeah. like, I don't even have to say it. Yeah. You know the title of the movie we're in. You know, yes. you know the agency <laughs> yeah. I work for. Very funny. <laughs> the International Monetary Fund. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> um, so we get a brilliant pre-planning heist scene where Benji is finally wearing his mask. And they have a very cool, like, new 3D printer mask machine. Yes. It, it's way better than what we just saw in Ghost Protocol. Yeah. So the crux is basically he has to be let into the place. And then, uh, like, that involves fingerprints, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. You have to go through three doors that each have a a separate... um, There's an obstacle. uh, What do you call it? Lock. um, ID. Thingy. Spinny lock. Yeah. Then you have to walk down a thing where cameras... Track your... How you walk. They track your facial tics. It's... Body weight. Like, it's everything. So you can't just wear a mask. No. And so in this um, high scene where we're being told what the obstacles are. We're basically are. seeing Benji's daydream actually, of him finally But we don't know it's Benji's daydream. Yeah. We're like, oh my God, this is actually happening. And then when Benji fails the walk test, he gets taken down and then his pl- yeah. mask is ripped off. And you're like, oh, Benji, you never Poor actually got never to wear the mask. To wear his mask. <laughs> but we now know that it's impossible right. to get in there. And so Benji and Ethan start listing, like, before we're, 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 they're they're, we're with the plane, they're like, hydraulics. Uh, air ducts. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, nope. And they're like, uh, what's the foundation? She's like, 12 feet of concrete. And so it turns out the only way they can get through is they need to get to the actual, like, uh, computer hard drive that stores the profiles of people who are allowed to pass through this funky machine. Yeah. And enter Benji's They need to swap out the profile of the person that would pass the walking test with Benji's profile. And this hard drive is stored in... An underwater uh, bunker 
It cycle I, turbine. Yeah. Don't know what it is, but we do know. You got to be able to hold your breath for three minutes. And this is one of my favorite running jokes of the series, which is Benji having such hero worship of Ethan yeah. that he signs him up for these daring stunts. He's like, oh, you him. can do it. He's like, oh, I believe well, in Ethan's you, buddy. fine. Don't worry about it. He yeah. can do it. And, and Tom Cruise is kind of going. <laughs> well, it's really funny because um, they're explaining, okay, so to do this, you need to basically swim down there. Um, yep. And you can't have an oxygen an oxygen task. Right. No metal can go through. <laughs> oxygen. I'm so oxygen excited. I tank. can't speak. <laughs> can't have that metal thing with you because it'll be detected. Yeah. So you do just have to hold your breath. And that's clearly why she was practicing. Holding and the her problem is if you exert yourself too much with swimming, you will deplete your blood oxygen. Yeah. So, so yeah. the harder you work, the faster you'll run out of breath. And so this is great. Tom Cruise with some very subtle face acting is really conveying to us that he's he worried about his ability do this. to do it. You know, the crazy thing. <gasps> Okay, so this is what I wanted to talk about. So Ethan Hunt in the movie is concerned about holding his breath for two minutes, first of all. And then when they realize that there's an added layer, he's like, oh, so I have to hold my breath for three minutes. And he just looks like, oh, God, I might die. In real life, Tom Cruise can hold his breath for six minutes. That doesn't actually seem possible. That's one of those. I watched a video and I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I love that they had to scale back what Tom Cruise can actually do in real life. So here's the thing. I watched one of those behind-the-scenes things about this one, and Tom Cruise was just basically like, yeah, I kept having to prove to the crew that I could actually do this. Everyone was freaking out. He's like, no, we're going to get the shot. Just stay away from me. I can hold my breath for six minutes. Three minutes is nothing. And here's the insane part. They apparently shot... A six-minute underwater scene with Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt. And it's the scene that makes it into the movie, but they cut the scene so it looks like they cut away. And they've done so many – there's a lot of, like, computer animation going on in the background with the arms and stuff that the scene looks a little fake or edited – which is disappointing because, yes, okay. he is doing something superhuman. So this is what I wanted to talk about in terms of, like, what's the biggest stunt of this movie? Yeah. Before I learned that the inhuman Tom Cruise can hold his breath for six minutes, I hated this stunt so much because drowning is, like, my oh, worst nightmare. Oh, this is this is not pleasant to watch. And this is- I was so stressed out watching it. Because to me, it is more dangerous it's, it's than awful. hanging onto the side of a plane. Because if you're hanging onto the side of the plane, you're at least strapped on, like, whatever. If really, you are it's t- the pilot who has to do something <laughs> yeah, difficult. Exactly. If you are trapped underwater with nowhere uh, to go, there's I nothing you can do. And how people drown, too, like, it's like... You can't fight your body. Your body is going to... I'm sorry. But that's why I hated the scene so much. And having to watch Ethan drown was horrific. Well, so before we even get to the actual mission, we cut back to Langley. Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) Because Brant has brought in Luther, who is apparently now both art critic and psychologist. (laughs) Because the only thing they have from Ethan are the drawings they found, which is one is of Solomon Lane. Yeah. And the other is of Ilsa Faust. And Luther is going, look at the drawings. What do you see? He's like, this <laughs> he doesn't man, know who this guy is. He doesn't is. know who he is. This woman? He likes he trusts her. her. He trusts her. Well, can we also cut back to another great Luther line where Brant gives him the drawings in the first place? And he's like, these are the people we've got to find. Can you do it with these drawings? Um, like, is it impossible? Like, Most people couldn't. Well, he's I, just like, he's like, you know, not for mere mortals or something right. like that. I could have done this at home. Yeah. <laughs> Which I actually, like, I did find it very, uh, Brant. Oh, Brant. Brant is not always the best. 
he has brought Luther to a desk that is roughly six feet away from Alec Baldwin. Yeah. Do you not think Alec Baldwin would be like, oh, Ethan Hunt's best friend is suddenly... That guy who's associated with IMF is now here after... That guy after who has literally I've helped disbanded. Ethan escape... IMF. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> anyway, they do the heist. They get the thing. Ethan, though, when he switches the cards... He switches the cards and basically he's running out of time. Yeah. Um, and he gets knocked by one of the. Is, is this right? Arms. Yeah, the swinging arms. And so now he has to work extra hard and to. His, his meter is telling us he has blood oxygen 0%. Yeah. And so, like, there's this very stressful thing where he actually loses the two profile cards. Oh, yeah. And he has to not only chase them and then sort of. I think he guesses which one well, is right. Well, the turbine has been. Yeah. It, he is guessing. And the turbine yeah. has been turned on. So now, like, the whole thing is a whirlpool. So he has to kind of, like, wait and be blown around to get back to the spot he needs so, to get to. as we – the science lesson we received previous to this scene is the harder you work, the faster you lose oxygen. Yes, so now he's swimming against the current. And he – because he is superhuman, he makes it to his escape hatch. He does manage to pull it and just barely manages to get it open, at which point he does drown. He does inhale. And then we see him drift away. And it's quiet. There's just, all you hear is the shoomp of the and arm then, going by. <laughs> Ilsa is in the tank. And it's such a badass moment. It is she, badass. I kind of wish she thought to bring a bodysuit. I know. Wow. She's clearly, she's just like taken off her clothes. She's wearing like a tank well, so top. We didn't, we didn't mention this. <laughs> Ethan had to do this like really cool I don't know, like 100-foot drop or something. I think it's this movie's equivalent of The Wire Hang, where he just has to, like... Drop down this... Yeah. So he did it in a wetsuit. I guess she just, like... She's wearing, like, a tracksuit or something up at the top. Yeah, but so I guess she just, like, took that off yeah. and jumped into the... And so she does the spider monkey thing with she him again. She spider monkeys him, yep. Where she is holding the unconscious, Ethan, and she is... As the turbine is pushing her around, she aims for the escape hatch door. She misses it the first time. Yeah, which is really stressful. And then the second time she gets it, and as soon as she hits it, they're just sucked right up. And then cut to her defibrillating Ethan, who has been unconscious. Well, no, no, no. It's cut to Benji escaping. And I only noted this because it was like, I thought it was a bit of an eye roll, but like in a fun way moment where he gets into the car. He's completed his mission. He's got the the USB stick (laughs) again. um, And he takes off his suit and he's got his dorky t-shirt on underneath it. And then he hits the start stop engine button. Yeah. Then you immediately cut to Ethan, who uh, is start stopping oh, his a, heart. That's a funny yeah, little cut. Fun. That's yeah, well yeah, done. Yeah, yeah, But so this poor man's brain, <laughs> each movie so they're beating him up more and more. I like that this movie, though, plays with that a little bit. We'll get to it in a second. Yeah. But, but this poor guy, like. So he is completely, like, he's was literally dead, and now he's coming to, and he's slowly taking in his surroundings. Benji runs, and he's like, you guys, we did it. And then he sees Ethan, and he realizes, oh, my gosh, Ethan isn't untouchable. Okay. He yeah. he might have died. And this guy who I keep volunteering for near death. <laughs> yeah, but there's, like, this great moment. Simon Pegg just looks, oh, my God, my best friend. And, and he Ethan runs goes, to him. Benji. <laughs> he's like, yeah, buddy, it's me. We did it. It's okay. (laughs) We did it, and you're going to get them, and we're going to win. And then he gets zapped from the behind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Who steals the the USB The USB. I was going to say, like, Benji before when he's talking to Ethan and cheering him on. Like, we did it, buddy. Feel better. Um, She's 
she's putting clothes on and she's overhearing him say, this is the stick with all the things. So that's what she steals when she yeah. runs away. And as she runs away, Ethan is just going, wait, what? No, I need that. And yeah. he's stunned. And, and he's, at this point, we don't know if he has severe brain damage or not. <laughs> because, Well, clearly he didn't in real life because he can hold his breath for, for six, six minutes. minutes. But in the movie, he's stumbling around. Okay, okay, is is now the time. To talk about... What the fuck is this shirt? Okay. <laughs> it is my is favorite shirt? just stylistic choice They're of this movie. They're trying to escape from a heist. They're trying to be inconspicuous. He's wearing a red snake skin. What is that even? What I shirt is that? It's like digital snake It's like skin. Jimmy Buffett is hosting a buffet somewhere. At and- a rave and just <laughs> took Molly. Like... <laughs> If you, there's no place on earth you can wear this shirt where everybody in the room wouldn't spit around. And yeah, look at you. <laughs> like what? I love it though. It's so Don't good. Don't get me wrong, I love it. But so he's wearing this stupid slash spectacular shirt, and he and Benji are now on the chase. They are trying to catch up to Ilsa, and Benji's going, "Dude, you were dead a minute ago. Are you okay? Goes, what are you talking about?" <laughs> then goes to jump over the hood of the car. Oh, and, and here we have to give, again, the music is the best it's ever been in this movie, because we've got the, he says, what are you talking about? And then you hear the dun-dun-dun-dun, and then when you're waiting for the final dun. Ethan goes to do a classic action hero move, which is slide over, over the car, the hood of the car. Instead, he wipes <laughs> out. <laughs> <laughs> and but bounces back real fast, hits the car, gets in. Benji goes, "Oh boy, <laughs> this isn't going to end and well." So now we are cutting between three theaters of action. Ilsa is getting on a motorcycle, surrounded by Bad other city people. She does this amazing spin where she knocks over everybody else. Yeah, she runs away. She's being chased by the syndicate. Yeah, Ethan and Benji are in their car chasing the syndicate, and as they turn a make a very tight turn and slam into like a little. Market stall. Who they, do they see in a Range Rover? Almost crash into Luther and Brand. And Ethan and Luther have a nice little wave. Yeah. <laughs> and Benji's just like, oh, hi, guys, points. <laughs> then they take off. And then <laughs> Brant and Luther. Brant and Luther have a really funny moment. <laughs> you had to get the Range Rover. Yeah. Like, you want me to <laughs> it's drive? a high speed chase. Yeah. You just had to have it. <laughs> it's excellent. <laughs> it's so good. And the whole time that Ethan is driving this car, first of all, it's a BMW. I don't know if you've noticed this, but yeah, good they guys like always BMWs drive in these, BMWs. These movies, yeah. Um, I, I will take a moment to point out that it is Tom Cruise doing all the driving. Well, okay, because the stunt co- Simon Pegg kind of asked the stunt coordinator about this. He's like, "You're going to let Tom Cruise <laughs> drive me around through the stunts?" And the stunt coordinator was like, "Honest to God, I don't have a stunt driver better than Tom Cruise. He knows what he's doing. He's the best, and You're he talks about like." Teaching Tom Cruise how to drift, and I'm like, is Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise the coolest person ever? Maybe I, I, I oh man. <laughs> anyway, this is a great chase. It has one of my favorite scenes where um, Ethan has to reverse off a cliff in high speed, and he turns to Benji, goes, "Are you wearing your seatbelt? Like, Are you really asking me that, that now?" now? <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> And they go flying backwards. Uh, they crash. Um, they're upside down. Ilsa and, appears to have gotten away on the motorcycle. But one of the syndicate members, this is another one of my favorite moments. He's because Ethan and Benji are being chased by syndicate baddies on motorcycles yeah. as well. So one of the syndicate baddies approaches their crash car. They're, so the car is upside down. Yeah. They're trapped by their seatbelts. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. I know where you're going with this. <laughs> and motorcycle guy puts his motorcycle, like just stops it, like 
lets it stand there and then slowly starts walking over to draws a gun, draws a gun, and then bam, oh. the four by four driven Luther. by Luther <laughs> and Brand. Reversed into him. <laughs> so it's very nice here. All four of our IMF people get out of the car. The boys are back in Benji, town. Benji like wakes up, yeah, screaming. <laughs> He's like, oh, look out! <laughs> and they're like, "Real shame she got away." And Ethan's like, "We got away." Well, in that moment, Picks up sunglasses <laughs> off the ground. I, I made a note to ask you: Are those weird Oakleys? I, I don't think they're Oakleys, but I could be wrong. I, I, my Oakley dar wasn't on at this point because I was just <laughs> losing my mind over how great this entire sequence is. So I think at this point, um, well, first of all, it's really funny when they go to untie Benji from the car. It's a knife, and he's like, "Oh gosh, that looks sharp!" Like you've just sharp. been through the most ridiculous. Anyways. But they are keeping Benji and Benji's sensitivity and vulnerability front of our mind because the people writing this script are, they know what they're doing. They're building towards something. They're going somewhere with this. So Ilsa zooms by on her motorcycle, chased by the syndicate. Ethan, who's still a little bit punch drunk. Um, Okay, so I did want to talk about this because the closest I have ever come to feeling what probably Ethan Hunt would have been feeling in that scene was when I woke up after my surgery earlier this year and I was still coming down off of the drugs they had given me. And I was doing everything in my power to not be (laughs) high, basically. And I imagine that's how Ethan is feeling. And so for Ethan to execute all of this. Oh, my God. So Tom Cruise is actually riding this motorcycle without a helmet doing. In his incredible snake sh- snakeskin shirt. <laughs> He's doing these really intense banks where like his knee is 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 almost touching the, the pavement. I, I, what 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 can you even say? I think maybe this franchise does the best motorcycle chase scenes ever. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. What are, what? Uh, like the second like. Matrix, there's a pretty cool oh, there's chase a, yeah, scene Trinity's with the motorcycle, the, yeah. but I think this franchise just like one-ups itself sure. every single time. But it's all great. to say, it's a great scene. Ethan quickly dispatches the syndicate guy. And then again, these characters just like being kind of honest and open with their feelings. Mm-hmm. What does Elsa do? She pulls over and she just stands in the middle of the side, uh, the highway. And she, she knows, knows that he's not going to hit her. He's not going to hit her. So he... He wipes out basically. To avoid hitting her. Yeah. And then there's this great moment where he's, again, because he's still punch drunk from being dead, I guess, in the timeline of this movie less than 10 minutes ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and he's kind of looking at her and she has a moment when she gets back on the bike where you can just see the remorse in her eyes. And here's something we should, we haven't really talked about. Um Ghost Protocol ends and it's a little unclear what Ethan's status is with his mm-hmm. Julia. Julia, his his wife, his ex-wife, we don't know. This movie, they, they never mention her name. They never address it. But um, we kind of get the idea that it just, it hasn't worked out. And but we don't know that actually. But like, I, like Ethan never openly makes a move towards Ilsa. Right. I guess what I'm saying is that the fact that he has been comfortable living off the grid for six months without any need to contact her, it seems like they are pretty... C- Conclude whether they're separated or not. He's living a sad, lonely life. Well, I think and in the, the franchise, contact means so much more. You well, know, I I totally hear you. I think for me, the absence of Julia in this movie, it never even occurred to me the first time I saw it that you know, like something had ended between him and Julia. I was just right. like, oh, they've just like disappeared. Another one of Ethan's <laughs> love interests because they do that all the time. She went to that great Agent Carter spot <laughs> in the sky. <laughs> yeah, but. 
so for me, I don't know, like, because there isn't a payoff, I, that's maybe a bit of a spoiler, but there isn't like oh. a magical like kiss moment between the two of them. Like you're gonna get to the it Julia thing I think for what me. What actually happens in this movie is so much more. Oh, I completely and agree. And- but this is all to say, for me, when I watched this movie, I wasn't like, "Oh, Julia's gone forever." I was like, "Oh, maybe he is still just checking in on her." But right. they cut it from right. the movie because okay. it, whatever. Okay, fair. But the focus should always have been on him and Ilsa because uh, it's just yeah. So I don't know if there was a version of this movie with Julia in it. And they were like, hmm. no, it has to be just Ethan and Ilsa. Anywho's old. So they meet up in uh, like a cafe. He basically drags himself to a cafe and the rest of the IMF members show up and they're like, hey, buddy, you okay? <laughs> and he really great bit of acting from Simon Pegg here where Ethan like just so broken and sad goes, please tell me you made a copy and then there's a, the pause. there's a pause and Simon Pegg really looks hurt and, and like he's about to disappoint his hero. And then he does. gets this sneaky little grin. Of course I made a copy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really nice. It's a it nice moment amongst friends. It really is. So um, what is our next scene here? I can't so remember. My scene next by scene, scene, I can tell what it is based on a very um, mean note I wrote here. <laughs> So for our listeners who can't see me, I am a a proud bald man. I rock a shaved head. (laughs) The next note written on my pad is, what the fuck is this man's hair? (laughs) (laughs) Because we cut to Ilsa Faust meeting up with... Her handler, Who turns out she is indeed an active member of... It's it's either MI5 or MI6, but British British intelligence. Um, She has been infiltrating the syndicate and is, yes, meeting up with uh, Adley, <laughs> which is confusing when they say Adley and Hunley in the same. But yeah. We'll get there. <laughs> he is, I don't know if you can call this a comb over. It made me very happy that I made the decision to shave my head. I, it just, oh, what, what well, other worlds could have been. <laughs> but basically... I can't picture you with a comb. You never would have let that happen. I, this thing isn't even a comb over, though. It's it's it's. <laughs> no, I, he looks ridiculous. But here's the thing: he's supposed to look sneaky and smarmy. And, what, just a Weasley piece of yeah, something. Yeah, and um, it's true. The movie has to establish very quickly that this guy's no good. There's a lot of visual like cues. <laughs> whoever did hair and makeup was like, I I got I got just the thing. Yeah. So. Um, Basically, she tries to... She's like, look, I got the disc for I'm you. I'm free now, right? And he's like, no. You got to go back. Yeah. And she's like, I don't want to. And I can't... Frankly, I can't even really remember what his reasons are for sending her back. Uh, he's like, you got to confirm whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I can't remember but either. Basically, what he tells her is, if you try to leave, you're still on the disavow list. The CIA and British Secret Service are going to try to kill you. So he's, he's really being an asshole here. Yeah. So she knows she has to go back. So yes. she goes back. Um, and then, then we get the boys in the Morocco safe or safe house analyzing the disc that Benji got out. I do want to give a little shout out to Brant here. He has a really funny, like just a side moment um, where they're just listing like the world is basically against them. And uh, he's like, yeah, we're like wanted by the CIA. Pause. I'm so proud so of us. Why, why don't we why don't we take just a second here to talk about Brant? Because they kind of okay. did something interesting here i they tried to do by right by renner and i kind of like this jeremy renner is an action star right Mm -hmm. and that's what they brought him in to kind of do was to take over for tom cruise and kick some ass and do some stunts 
And then when Tom Cruise was like, no, I'm going to do this forever. They kind of try to put him into a new role of like, he's an um, analyst again. He's an analyst again. He's more of a tactics and strategy guy. uh, Sort of the big picture guy. He's not fully integrated here. It doesn't work perfectly, but you can see what they're going for that. I like that. They're not just having him be Ethan jr. Yeah. And the fact that he is sort of like the odd man out on this team, I think plays into a, a plot line that we're going to see later on in the yeah. movie where he's the untrustworthy one, kind of. Like, he's the one that isn't part of the group because he I'm still unclear doubts. on what happens there, quite frankly, if he's whose side he's been on all along. But anyway. 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 This scene happens where they basically are figuring out what to do next. So they try to open the disc that Benji stole. And it turns out it is not, or or maybe it is, what they've been led to believe, but it's contained within a red box, <laughs> which, uh, again, talking about goofy versus silly, mm-hmm. red box is a specific type of British intelligence file protocol that can only be unlocked by a simultaneous retinal scan palm print and voice ID from the prime minister, the prime minister of England. So they're going to have to kidnapped or abduct the prime minister himself. In order it, it, to <laughs> access this red box. And Ethan's got a nice little line where he says, you know, we're going to have to take the prime minister. It made me think, it really made me think of national treasure and yeah. oh, I'm going to steal the constitution. <laughs> of the United- or no, Declaration, Declaration yeah. of Independence. Damn it. I kind of like those great, movies. Just great, great series. As, like a, as an aside, yeah. Uh, yeah okay. <laughs> so, anyway, Branch isn't is down with this plan. Where He's like, like, no. Okay, I'll, I'm out of here. What? What the fuck are you talking about? You yeah. can't go kidnap. <laughs> but Luther and Benji are, they're like, no, uh, Ethan can see things that we can't. Sometimes he can see the only way. Like, that's a Luther line, and I'm misquoting it. But they both have absolute trust in Ethan, and they will follow him and support him in this plan. Now, my notes are unclear here. Do we then cut directly to the auction? I mean, Brant, Brant calls... Baldwin and yeah. says, this and he's is like, going look, um, I don't want you to, to kill London. my guys, yeah. so I will betray them to you so long as you promise not to kill them. Meet us in London. Yeah. Let's just cut to sure. the auction. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> line in the movie is coming up. You know what it is. I know what it is. We'll get there when we get there, but you know what I'm going to say. I, I, yeah. I, I, okay. I think I do. All right. <laughs> so, a bunch of people converge on this auction where the UK prime minister is going to be. It seems like the most likely target where if Ethan and his team are going to uh, kidnap him, it's going to be here. Yeah. Who are our players? We have Baldwin meets up with Brant. Brant and Baldwin meet up with Adley. Yep. Uh, the man with the fascinating hair. Yep. Ilse's boss. And they go into the auction and they take the prime minister aside and... Well, what what happens in this scene? A whole lot happens in this a scene. A whole lot. And this is where I wish I had taken better notes because basically it's me just going like exclamate a line of exclamation points, but I don't know what that means. So they all try to convince the prime minister that Ethan Hunt is going to kidnap him and he needs to be safe. So what happens is they take the prime minister to a secure room. Atlee tells the two guards outside of the room to not let anyone in. Don't That's let important. anybody in. Yeah. And then they go inside and they start talking about the syndicate and the prime minister is like, I do know what that is. Um, and then he's Adley. Yeah. He's like, did no, you launch the syndicate. <laughs> he's like, I told you not to. <laughs> because this prime minister kind of brazenly reveals in front of the, director of the CIA that the syndicate was a plan for 
the British government to launch a super talented secret spy team that would be well-funded. And help them take over the world, basically, if they needed to. Yes, and... um, And that the prime minister would be, as he put it, judge, jury, and executioner. And he was like, no, that's too much power, that's too much money, that's insane, kill the program. But it turns out, not only did Adley launch the program, but he put the funds aside... In this red box. Yep. And now we know what the big, like, you know, MacGuffin of this movie is. If the syndicate gets the red box and opens it, they're going to be able to fund themselves for the next 10 years. And the other important plot piece is that when Atlee secretly launches, um, the syndicate, Solomon Lane is basically his number one guy. Yes. Solomon Lane was another British spy. Yeah. And clearly Solomon Lane went rogue. Yeah. We don't really know why, do we? The next movie, actually kind of gives us more of an explanation for that. But we don't know that but yet. we don't know that yet. It um, doesn't really matter. You know, Solomon Lane is not a big part of this movie, and I'm fine with that. He's a generic creepy bad guy. Kind of like last movie, he's sort of just an anonymous villain to give us some stunts. But exactly. The most important part of this movie are the stunts and the team dynamic and Ethan plus Ilsa. Yes. But so... Now the British Prime Minister is getting annoyed, and he's saying, I have to get out of here. I have to get out of here. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And Alec Baldwin, again, if you got the wrong actor for this, your movie falls apart he just at the looks, most important part. He looks – so first of all, as the reveal is happening where um, Alec Baldwin is learning, oh, my God, the syndicate is real, and Ethan was right, he just looks sort of agog. <laughs> That's the only word for it, where he's just like a little bit like, What? Baldwin then goes on like a little rant here where he's like, Ethan Hunt is the best train, blah, blah, blah. Ethan Hunt, get what's what. Ethan Hunt is the living manifestation Destiny. of destiny. <laughs> at which point, what? Mass grip. Adley is Ethan. Ethan tranks the prime minister. <laughs> just, and Alec Baldwin like, is just like, what? <laughs> it's like, you just said it yourself. I like, know. And now he's like a little bit embarrassed that Ethan heard him say that. Because I think he also says something like, if Ethan wants you, he's he going knows to get you're you. in this room. He's, he's, pro- anti- he's probably coming here right yeah, now. Yeah, he's anticipated this move, yeah. And so, basically, they are taking the drugged-up prime minister. They get his handprint. The real it's very funny. comes in, and they trank him, too. And then Ethan... And they trank him with, like, truth serum or something. Like, I'm not sure if it is actually truth serum, but he confesses to the plan. Yeah, and and, and so... There's a nice little Rudyard Kipling reference here. Which is a bit bizarre. And then <laughs> Ethan, Ethan says to Baldwin, here's what you're going to tell them. Adley tranked the prime minister. You tranked Adley. Now you're a hero. And Baldwin's like, all right, okay, I, <laughs> sure. I cannot beat you. You are the living manifestation of destiny. Go <laughs> go away. And so he hasn't, in fact, set American-UK uh, relations back to the American Revolution. And he's, he's made them better. He's saved them. Yeah. But but so, as we just acknowledged, we we have jumped ahead, actually, of one of the most important scenes in the movie, because I, I, I really know, I, I this. don't... It's, it's, a lot happens yes. in the end of this movie. It's, it's hard to keep. So, the train station. Okay, so let's set up the scene. This is, um, it's Victoria Station or something, like a very busy yeah. tube station in London. So there's lots of people walking around and Ilsa shows up for the meeting and she realizes that she's sort of surrounded by the IMF team. Yeah, they they have tried to get to her to get to Solomon, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
and she and Ethan make eye contact and they just have a conversation without words because they're that deeply connected and they go sit down at the table together. As the score is going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, do you want to do your opera theme? No, because it's very subtle and it's mixed in with the actual Mission Impossible theme, but it's beautiful and it's it's pulling on your, yeah. your heartstrings. So the important thing to establish here is that uh, Luther, Brandt, and Benji, even though they are all standing far away, can hear they everything. There. So... You know, like, uh, you know, in your younger years where you're texting with someone you have a crush on and you have all your buddies in the room yeah. to help you through the, That's <laughs> basically what is happening in this scene is that Luther, Brandt, and Benji are all commenting in Ethan's ear. Yes. Because because Ilsa sets out that he has three, three options. Cho- three choices, yeah. Yes. So um, I can't even remember the details of the first two options. Like one is Option like, one is like we all get killed by this. Yeah. CIA. The second one is... You let me go back to Solomon. To an uncertain fate. You try to stop him and, and then, we'll probably die. And then pause, option three. We run away together. You come away with me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I can't remember Luther, one of them. Luther says, oh, oh boy. <laughs> and, and Ethan plays it like great because he's not surprised. It's like he knew it was coming. He's also not like opposed to it. You can see that he's like into it, but it's just, it's not something he's going to decide. And it's, I, and this is where I wonder if maybe Julia is still alive. Like, we don't know, right? Because he doesn't say, like, oh, gosh, I wish I could. Part of me is like, I don't know, Ethan. Like, just, just. just so here, here's the thing that's kind of bothering me. And I can't remember where I took this note. But, you know, from the very beginning, um, Baldwin is questioning Hunt's loyalty. I think he says he's both arsonist and firefighter or yeah. whatever, right? I'm like, for God's sake, how many times has he been accused of being a traitor only to end up being the hero? What is it yeah. going to take for his people to trust him? They will never trust him. You've met the love of your life. Just go. Just get out of here. Let Brant take down <laughs> the syndicate, you know? This is your one shot at happiness. She's not someone you're going to have to, like, you know, struggle to to fight to protect from Owen Davian because she could protect herself. Just go live in the Bahamas, you know? But here's the thing. He's not a patriot uh, because he isn't staying for love of country. He's staying because it's the right thing he to do. He won't risk innocent lives. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, he says to her, you know, like, but what about Solomon? And she's like, there's always going to be a Solomon. Somebody but else will stop him. Yeah. People are always there to, to stop him. Yeah. And then they have their little, like, she realizes he's not going to come. But she she knew he wasn't going to come. But she wanted to she just, had to ask. she had to ask. Yeah. And so all of a sudden there's interference. Like they hear yeah, something they coming over. radio contact. And they realize that Benji has been kidnapped by the bone doctor. And so Mission Impossible 3. We have five minutes of Julie at the beginning. Then Julie gets kidnapped. And this is supposed to be our motivation heading into the entire back half of that movie, the final act. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work. The screenwriter who looked at the cast they had and said, we're not going to have him rescue Elsa. We're going to have him rescue Benji. Benji. Should have been given a bonus and points on this movie. (laughs) Because it's brilliant. I care about it so much. And when we later see Benji with a bomb strapped to his chest and he has like kind of watery eyes. Yeah. I felt I felt more for it's that than I felt any really other upsetting. Imperiled. Yeah. And when Ethan is acting, when he realizes Benji's been taken and he immediately goes into, oh my God, I must save Benji. Like it's yeah. that much more believable because they have 100%. this relationship and this, you like them. This movie is so well made. So Ethan and Brant immediately take off to try to rescue Benji before um, the car leaves the garage. And then Luther kind of... <laughs> 
Le- if There's he's some go- very clever he's gonna be editing. A contender for least valuable member. Because- very clever editing that looks like he's run down really fast, but he's just stepped into front. Like you know, we <laughs> we only see Ving Rams take one step. So Luther's job is to stay with Ilsa, basically make sure she doesn't leave, and he yeah. keeps like. It's the slowest run ever, and he keeps banging into people. Especially after we've seen her move the way she can move. Yeah, but like, like what it's choice? funny because she waits for him to get really close before she takes off. It's it's like it's like people on a bas- people on a playground taunting littler kids with a basketball. Yeah. You know, like uh, you want it, you want it, boom, done. <laughs> So Ilsa's in the wind now. And then we see a nice little Ethan development here that I quite like. Um, You know, I think this movie, kind of like the last movie, we don't get a lot of Ethan's internal feelings. We're we're sort of cut off from that. He is a really like shut down stony guy compared Mm -hmm. to Mission Impossible 1, Mission Impossible 2, Ethan. But we see some nice development here, which is last movie, he decides to make the buck nutty decision to hand over nuclear launch codes to a terrorist who has a nuclear bomb. (laughs) This one, he has the, the red box and Solomon Lane says, you want Benji back? Give me the red box. What does Ethan do? He drills directly into the disc. He's like, Nope, I'm shutting it down. Yep. He does something before he does that. Yes. Well, we're not. So I still don't, I still don't fully know. Okay, so later he's going to tell Solomon Lane that he memorized all the bank details. I believe that he did. He is Ethan Hunt. I believe that he can. Did he, though? Well, he does look at the screen with all the bank numbers and stuff. At one, or he does. Yes. He does yes, look he at does. it. He so <laughs> he, what is that when you remember everything you read? Photographic memory. He's got one of those. Which is not a real thing. Isn't it? No. Crazy Anatomy is, lied to me? It is, it is um, <laughs> screenwriter's favorite character detail to add for any character they want to make more interesting, but it just does not exist. It's not huh. real. Thing. I'm going to Google this later. Not that I don't believe you. I just, I clearly you don't believe. <laughs> well, it's been like a thing in my life for a while. Would a that man <laughs> who can explain Puccini's great aria Nessun Dorma lie to you about the basic science of memory. Anyway, <laughs> I love you, buddy. I do. I'm yep. still Googling this. This is, you've blown my mind a little bit here. Fine. Okay. Um, but so basically he goes to meet Benji Right. Like yeah. that's, that's what happens next. And, yeah. and this is, I think I'll say where my one criticism, the, the final action scene in this movie is not bad by any sense, but it's just, it's not the movie at its top, you know? Wait, are you talking about the scene at the cafe? Or? From the cafe to the end of the movie. Like, okay. Disagree a little ooh, bit. All, all right, right. Sell me. Go for it. Okay. So, well, let's, let, we're at the cafe. Yeah. So Benji is sitting with Ilsa. And um, Benji has a bomb strapped to his chest, as you've rightly pointed out. And the cafe is surrounded by syndicate agents. The bone doctor is yes. there. And so Ethan takes a seat at the table. Ilsa says something or other. She's there because they'll all die if she's not, whatever. Yeah. Um, and Benji is talking to Ethan, but it's actually Solomon. Solomon Lane, he's got a little earpiece in and he's being fed his, his words. Yeah. And as you said before, like, I think you do actually see a tear come down Benji's face. There's a little tear, and it may, I, I, I swear to you, I felt more for this guy. I was surprised at how much I legitimately felt upset about Benji being put in danger. Because here's the thing, because you know Benji so well at this point, like, Simon Pegg doesn't, like, he's doing a great acting job, but He's very, very good in this movie. We, the audience, know that Benji not only is scared, but he feels terrible for putting his hero in this position. 
And it's just that much it's more so, heartbreaking. It's so good. So Ethan has his conversation with Solomon. Yeah, Solomon and says, you have 30 seconds to give me the red box. Otherwise, I blow up everybody at the cafe. Yep. And Ethan pulls the switch where he's like, I am the red box. I destroyed the disc. It's yeah. in my memory. And like to prove it, he writes down a bank number code thing on yeah, a napkin he, and is like, don't believe me, check it out. A $50 million transfer. It's not bad. And so Solomon now has to figure out whether or not Ethan is bluffing. Like he, he clearly believes that Ethan yeah. destroyed the red box, but does Ethan actually have all the information? And then Ethan is like, the bone doctor is going to have to beat it out of me. And then it's nice. Benji basically gets up and runs away. <laughs> and then, Ethan- well, because Solomon gives him the code with like 0.19 seconds left on the right. clock. And then Ethan and Ilsa are sitting at the table surrounded by the syndicate agents and they have a look with each other and Tom Cruise has this great, he flexes his jaw muscle. So it reminded me of classic Westerns where it's just like the stare down between two. Fantastic call. Like I I was just like, it was like a spaghetti Western. It's it's like the cross cutting in the final scene of the good, the bad and the ugly. It's Ethan looking at Ilsa, Ilsa looking at Ethan, them looking at the bone doctor and they share this like really really yeah. loving glance. I, <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. And then, and then they just kick ass. Yeah. And it's this great where they're a team. Um, Ilsa's behind Ethan in the way that she's like, hit, like tapping on him, telling him which way to turn. Like they, they work beautifully together. And so to be honest, I'm, I'm a little confused on what happens here because how do they, how are they tracking lane or how do they get to lane? Well, I think at this point they're running away from the syndicate guys, and Lane right? Lane is coming to them. Yeah, I guess. because he wants yeah. the it, codes. It, it's a little like it doesn't matter because everything is just so exciting. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's just not what I'm concerned about at this point, frankly. Yeah. So they're running away from the syndicate guys. Ethan and Ilsa have their separate like awesome they, it's, fights. It's like they're running through Oxford or something. I'm not yeah. sure where they are, but it's. You're right. Like it's not the most exciting scene, but the, the Ilsa fight is pretty great. It's I'll give great. You that. She does her like her leg thing again, where she gets up on the guy's shoulders <laughs> and like just it's a cool move. It is a cool move. <laughs> it's it's not dissimilar from Black Widow's move that she does again and again in the Avengers. Where well, I think it's because when they are choreographing these fight scenes, they the the stunt choreographers very seriously go, okay, how could a woman of this size actually take out a guy of that size? And that's why I want to lose like learn this move, and maybe that's. That is why I'm so fascinated with it. <laughs> it's an interesting move because it requires you to jump about six feet into the air. <laughs> I'm saying it's going to take me some Pretty time yeah. to learn this skill. But I, I believe in you. Thank um, you. <laughs> okay. So she she takes down the Bone Doctor, right? Yeah. Which is kind of nice because they've sort of been setting up that like Ethan and the bone doctor are going to have a showdown and yeah. nope, they have, they have a knife fight. It's, yeah. it's pretty cool. It's really cool. And then I forget how exactly Lane shows up. He, he shows up in a not BMW, right? Yeah. yeah. A bad guy car, <laughs> not a good guy car. And then the showdown happens between him and Ethan. And yeah. you know what? Like, I don't know if there was anything special about that fight to you. I, to be honest, I can't remember much about it except for the very end. Like, I think this actually, okay. I don't think they actually lay hands on each other. No, Ethan is running, and the first time you see it, you think it's because Ethan is just, like, running away and Solomon is chasing him, and then Ethan appears to hurt himself falling down down this hole. And I guess we should say there's been a little setup where Brant has accused Ethan of having uh, not a personal vendetta, but, like, a pissing contest with with this this guy because he feels outmatched. And so... 
Ethan says that's not what it's about. And you kind of are expecting them to have a showdown, not unlike the end of Mission Impossible 2, where you have two mm-hmm. spies who are trying to, you know, beating the shit out of each other. But Ethan takes the high road. Yeah. And it turns out they've just set a trap. Yep. Ethan has lured Solomon into this trap. And, um, like, let's take another moment here to appreciate the cleverness of the movie. So the way that Solomon traps Ethan at the beginning is by trapping him in a a glass glass box box that fills with smoke. Ethan has just trapped, with the help of Brant. Each one of them puts up a wall. (laughs) Like, the symbolism gets very literal here, that they need each member of the team the whole to build team their- and now they're all surrounding solomon in this box and he starts freaking out realizing what's happened he's, he's ilsa gone. has come up from behind she's standing with ethan yeah. looking at solomon and doesn't even matter what's said this like i i really like that they capture the bad guy instead yeah. of killing him i just think it's uh i i i like that like you know ethan kind of has principles here he's like you know this is about doing the job you're right. going it's to not jail about- yeah yeah and it's a great scene too because the box fills with the smoke that and Benji's the one to pull that switch. They're like, "Hey, he he made you upset. You get to gas Benji, him." You get this, yeah. <laughs> and so while Solomon is being smoked, I guess yep. he's very upset. He's fighting it. He's banging on the glass and he's taking his gun. And even though the glass is bulletproof, he's still just shooting at Ethan. Yeah, it was just it was a very well done scene, and it reminded me too of like. Ethan walking through the smoke at the end of um, Ghost Protocol. It's, it's, it's a very nice parallel. Yeah. And so they load his little glass box onto a police truck. Yep. And then Ilsa and <sighs> Ethan have just a really lovely moment. Ethan says to her, you're free now. And she, does she ask him to come with her again? Is that, is that right? She, or does she say, I know you're not coming with me? She says basically that, and she communicates that, you know, she's done enough. And she, and then at this point, the police car with Brant and Luther and everyone, they pull up. Yeah. And so she pulls in Ethan, gives him a hug, and just says, you better hurry now. And I love, love, love that it is a hug and not a kiss. Well, yes, exactly. It's it just means so much more. Exactly. And then she gets into the car and says, "You know how to find me." She doesn't look at him again, but she says, "You know how to find me." And in her BMW, <laughs> she takes she off. off. And he watches her. And that's the last we see of them in this movie. And it's mm-hmm. it's 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 sad that they can't be together. It's happy that she's gotten out free and they've made this connection. It's I don't know. It's just, it's excellent. I, this, I was so surprised at how moving I found this. And you know me and the fact that I am down for any sort of like action romance comedy. Mm-hmm. It was, I think the first time I watched it when I was like, well, why didn't he just go with her? That's when I went, oh, maybe Julia is still alive. And yeah, like it was just sort of a fleeting thought, but you know, he's a man of honor, clearly. Yeah. I, anyway. Yeah, he's not done with the job. And also, his government hasn't treated him quite as badly. Yeah, so I mean, like, he has... He, he also has his team, right? Yeah. He's, he's got his buddies. He, he goes back because he's going back to his family. Yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> I think that's right. Um, and then, is it the very next scene where we're back with Alec Baldwin? We're and, back in the, in the Senate Intelligence Committee, I yeah, guess. Yeah, and the committee's like, wait, what... 
Alec, you're withdrawing your complaint about Were IMF? Were you not just here six <laughs> months ago trying to get IMF shut down? He's like, it was all a clever ruse. Yeah. I had a deep cover agent, and in order to protect his identity, I needed to make it look like I'd shut down IMF. And the like, committee is just like, God damn it, fine, whatever. They're like, Agent Bram, what do you have to say about this? I can I neither. Can, uh, confirm confirm or deny. It's great. And then they walk out, and Brant says to him, welcome, Mr. Secretary. Setting us up for the fact that uh, Mr. Baldwin is going to be our boss heading into the next movie. And is that it? Is that the end? That's it. We get some credits where they basically replay the and, airplane scene. Which is awesome. Because they're like, hey, we want to make sure you didn't forget what we did at the start of this movie. He hung off an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the final image you see. It's just him holding, like, on, to it. holding on. And then it cuts to, yeah, the title card. Yeah. What a fucking good movie. I I mean, I can't, I can't, like, can't I, even. Here's the thing. We stumbled a little bit with the plot line because you're right. It does get a little bit convoluted. And but es- especially with Ilsa and Adley, there are, you know, we skipped over stuff about him deleting the files off. Yeah. Her. You know, there's, there's a lot going on here, but you're right. It is easier to follow than Mission Impossible 1. And here's the thing. Like, it's so... Like, for a movie where a lot of, like, violence and, like, big things happen, it has, like, such a light touch. You're just, you're wowed in one scene, and then you're wowed in the next one. And when they make it quieter, it's, like, it... So we brought up, um, we we, we brought up the great film Casablanca a little while ago. And what uh, people often say about Casablanca is that um, it's it's actually a, a little bit of a nightmare of, plot holes and continuity errors and all sorts of things that no one has ever once cared about. Because it, you're entertained the whole time. And those things don't matter compared to the romance, the characters and whatnot. And that's exactly what I feel about this movie. Like any flaws we could point out, it, it, it doesn't it's matter. not the point of the movie. If you're nitpicking the flaws of this movie, then you didn't actually watch the movie. <laughs> it's it, w- it would be like getting into like a... a, a Formula One race car and being like, mm, the air conditioning isn't really, you know, it's like, yeah. that's not, you're missing that's the, point. Not the point. Yeah. Is it time to get into questions? I was just going to say, I just like, want to like sit in the good feelings of this movie a I little know. longer. Well, I guess like, let's just take a moment. I'm skipping ahead in the questions, but we have to acknowledge the man who made this movie we possible. We haven't talked about Chris McQuarrie. This is an excellent, excellent, excellent point. Do we do we want to wait till we get to the director section? Do you want to start there? Should we just get into the questions and jump around where we need I'm to I'm just going to quickly say right now, okay. this movie, which is the best movie ever. Well, <laughs> sorry. I just, I'm still riding high after my stand, weekend stand by rewatch. Um, just watching it again and just appreciating that it doesn't matter like how many times I watch this movie. I'm consistently entertained throughout. Mm-hmm. That is a really hard thing to do. Oh, God, yeah. And it involves someone who... Deeply understands the character, who deeply understands every single key component of this franchise, what works, what doesn't, and mm-hmm. knows exactly what the audience wants. And Christopher McQuarrie, this is his first time directing a Mission yep. Impossible movie, but he has been involved with Tom Cruise and he has been involved with this franchise since I think three, right? I thought it was number four. Was he did he come on to Mission Impossible 3 and I seven? think he did something uncredited in 3. I'm going to have to fact check that. But, like, he's been watching these movies for a while. Right. Right. Sure. Yeah. And, he, you know, he has been working with Tom Cruise on projects outside of this franchise yeah. since before number four. He did Valkyrie with Tom Cruise and Edge of Tomorrow. 
and Edge of Tomorrow as I... Well, you also did Jack Reacher. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Which didn't work, but... I think actually in that case we had a little bit of a Anne I'm Rice kind situation. Of fond of that movie. I, Here's I the thing: know. the movie itself is good. I just think the Tom Cruise was still in a he hadn't quite won back his audience yet, and everyone was like, "You're not Jack Reacher," and so it was like Tom Cruise playing with stat. My feeling on Jack Reacher is that it's like the best pilot for a Netflix show I've ever seen. <laughs> that probably sounds like faint praise, but. I don't mean it to be. Do you, do you know, like... No, I, I totally get it. It's a, what is happening with Jack Ryan, the new Amazon yeah. Prime series. You're right. That is what the first movie sure, feels like. Sure, sure, sure. I haven't actually seen any of that. You, Neither have I. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I've heard good things. Yeah. Middling film fans. Okay. Yeah. So um, what, what else do you have to say about Christopher McQuarrie? Okay. I, well, we can come... Well, I don't actually have anything else specific to say about him, except I think this is a man who studied this franchise, deeply understood what it was and what was best about it, and then committed to, no, this is a movie about the characters as opposed to a movie about like the plot, and let's throw some badass stunts in there because that's what the people really want to see. I, I, I have nothing to disagree with there. I can tell you when I first saw this movie... What, yeah, what bummed me out a little when I first saw this movie is that um, one, two, three, and four all have these very heavy directorial flourishes where uh, the director is putting in their own style, their own tone, their whatever. And I really like that about this series. Um, for, for better and worse, it just created interesting stuff. And this is the first one where, you know, because I, you know, Christopher McQuarrie doesn't have enough of a body of work for me to know his moves, his, his, his tones, it felt a little more anonymous. And yet having the director for the first time, take a back seat and let the series be what determines the tone and the whatever I think comes up with, and I'm getting ahead and I've been thinking how I was going to answer this question the entire time comes up with the best entry to date. I, I completely agree. And so Christopher McQuarrie, I think like, sort of uh he's most skilled as a screenwriter like that's where he developed like he did the usual suspects and i would say the only sort of thread we see with him like having stamps in his movies and again he didn't direct the usual suspects but um you could i guess argue that solomon lane is a bit of a kaiser soze and that he's like you know could be anybody but you're, um, you're absolutely, you know, I've never thought of it that way, that this is the first one where the script has authorial flourishes that set it apart as opposed to the direction. That's a really interesting way to think about it. I, I just can't <laughs> hold on to so I'm excited. Just losing everything today. <laughs> um, at least it's not the cat this time. <laughs> nope. But, but what's better than the cat? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. Let's just dive into the questions. Let's let's dive into the Because I think we're both a little bit overwhelmed with the yes. Christopher McQuarrie because we're like, how did he do it? He he made magic happen. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you remember the first time that you saw this movie. Uh, I do. Tell us about that. Uh, I saw it with MJ. Cool. And she really liked it and I really liked it. 
there's like nothing else to say, yeah. you know? Like, yeah, that was it. I, I uh, The two of us saw a good movie and liked it. Really liked it. And then I think we talked about it because I think we were roommates at the time. We, I was we were roommates at the time. But out of town know. when this came out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's get into the questions. Okay. Best gadget. Oh, wow. You know, I didn't even think about... Oh, wait, you, you go. Let me think so on this. here's the thing. This isn't a very gadget-driven movie because... Mm-hmm. It's the stunts that are so exciting, and it's, like, the gadgets don't have a moment, I think, that they have in the previous series. Like, the gadgets are maybe cooler, like, the whole program that's actually a computer, the oxygen tank suit thing, but they're secondary to the action. padlock ring is kind of cool. Yeah, I made a note about that. Um, Yeah, I'm really struggling here. This one is not particularly gadget-heavy. Nope. So I guess we can we can also say like it's a null and void. Yeah, I'll give it to the I'll give it to the Turindo Playbill that's secretly a laptop, I yeah. guess. I, oh, I, I did what really do we think like about a flute gun. Is that a, is that a gadget? <laughs> it's not so much a gadget as it is hilarious and fun. Um I really did like, you mentioned the key just now, the key that he's using to break into everything at the opera. Oh, yeah. So it's a key that just opens any lock. And that sounds like something out of a Harry Potter movie. Like nicely (laughs) illustrates for you how it works. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good one. And like, there's no attention really paid to it. I was just like, I I think that's a neat thing. And imagine if that was actually real. Okay. So I'm going to give it up to the. I'm going to go with you. I think I, I, I will go with the Harry the Potter key thing. thing. Sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, best stunt. We've already talked about this extensively. But um, I will the, say. Bef- what are the contenders if I have to really think about it's giving a fair. Airplane. And then for me, the contender would be the underwater. Hold breath. Yeah. And before I learned that Tom Cruise could hold his breath for six minutes. <laughs> For me, that was the more dangerous stunt, and yeah. so it was the more exciting stunt, and that was the one I was like, oh, no. Like, hanging off an airplane, for that's... For mere mortals, it would be the more dangerous stunt, but yeah. for Tom Cruise, it's actually like, oh, three minutes. I mean, that's not that big a deal. <laughs> Even though Ethan is concerned about that length right. of time. What? Okay, so what's your favorite stunt? I think I got to give it up to the airplane. It's the airplane. Yeah. It's, yeah, I'm it's not going to so equivocate good. about this. It's, it is what it is, yeah. Yeah. Airplane. Airplane. All right. Um, so most valuable player of the IMF team. Do you want to go? I don't actually know. Okay. So I, I, because you could say the most beloved character of the IMF team is Benji, but he actually is the one that causes problems for them. So we've played fast and loose at least once in the past with IMF member. Mm -hmm. I think... On the most critical, hard-hitting, deep dive into this question, the fair answer is Ilsa Faust. I think there's a very strong case to be made for Benji. Ilsa does sort of sabotage them a little bit. Like, she has to. She sabotages them to keep the actual mission of the syndicate. So, no Ilsa Faust. Ethan gets taken apart by the bone doctor five minutes into our movie. <laughs> um, no Ilsa Faust. They don't get, they don't know anything about the vault in Morocco. Mm-hmm. You're right, actually. I just, I, th- this is actually Ilsa's mission and the rest of them are just kind of following along for the ride. Um, 
That is the perfect way to describe it. There is the slight problem that she's not actually an IMF member. But she, also, like her actions dictate what they do. And like, I guess yeah. like you could, again, argue that she sets them back by stealing the, the USB stick with all the yeah. information. But um, the movie would have ended if <laughs> she just gave it to them then. I don't know. Yeah, I... Th- I said, I said last week that number four would be the only one where Benji would count. This might be Benji's finest outing. I, 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 where, where are you standing on this? Benji, I think, adorably makes mistakes in this movie. Like when he's accidentally screwing um, Ethan up and down in the back of the... <laughs> no, sorry. That's no um, phrasing. What movie Bad did you watch? Where he's screwing around with like the rigs that Ethan uh, is standing. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. <laughs> I'm sure there's some fan fiction out there Somewhere. that describes what I accidentally just said. But um, I think he's the adorable goof in this movie. Yeah, so he's still he, the heart and soul of the he, team, he, but he is the bumbling little brother who has to be taken care of. Yeah. I don't think I, that makes him the least valuable member. I, oh, I'm, he's not the least valuable. I'm sorry, but Luther doing his slow run and getting... Like, Luther is built like a linebacker. He should be able okay. to just plow through that crowd to get so, to Ilsa. So, okay. So before we move on, I'm giving it to Ilsa. For the most valuable for member? the most valuable member of the IMF team. I guess you could argue that Tom Cruise slash Ethan does just as much to keep mm. the mission... This is a particularly strong outing for Ethan. And he always puts his team first. No team members die in this movie. Well, record store. Well, she's she's anonymous. (laughs) Okay. So you're giving it to Ethan? Well, no, I have to give it to Ilsa because she's so badass. But Ethan, I will say Ethan does 40% of keeping the mission alive and going. Ilsa These last two 60. movies have been very strong outings for him. Mm-hmm. Ilsa, most it's, valuable I'm, member. I'm giving it to Ilsa. Least valuable? Okay, so we have two candidates. It's Luther and it's Brant. Yeah. I think Brant does more in this movie than Luther does. Yeah. I don't know if that makes him more valuable, though. He certainly yells a lot. He certainly psychoanalyzes Ethan a lot. Here's the thing, though. Who, uh, Brant or Luther? Brant. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Brant can't actually do anything without Luther. Like, Brant just hits a brick wall, and the only way he can move forward is by calling Luther and having Luther come in and do all the hard work for him. Mm-hmm. I, I actually, I, I think I take issue with the idea that Luther doesn't do as much in this movie. I guess I am just being unfair to Luther because I was so in a movie that is otherwise, I think in many ways, pitch perfect Luther failing to make his way through that crowd Luther drops the ball (laughs) pretty hard at the train station. (laughs) Let's be honest though. Was any member of the team, including Ethan ever going to be able to catch Ilsa? No. So So maybe that's why he was like, I don't even know why I'm trying. Like I know I have to go through the motions. Brant wasn't going to catch her. No. He just might have gotten closer. <laughs> I got to give it to Brant here. Okay. You don't have to Well, agree. no, I'm no, just, you I'm are right. And you are proven right by the next movie in which there is, <laughs> is a lack not necessary at of all. Brant. <laughs> I, I, so I think actually that does kind of stand in our yeah. 
favor of giving it to Brandt. Yeah. So Brandt. It's, it's so it's it's tough. I think there is a hanging thread here with Brandt, and I like the direction they tried to go in. Yeah. Um, just didn't didn't quite work out. I think Jeremy Renner and Jeremy Renner's agent was like, "Oh, you are going to be the new Ethan Hunt," and that's why they signed up. And then well, and everything so, sort of changed. Like it's a weird thing, right? And we would not be the first to point this out at all. But uh, you know, it, it's a case of. I don't know what happened here, but he, he was a guy who was supposed to be taking over three different franchises, right? He was going to be the new Mission Impossible guy. He was going to be the new Born. Mm-hmm. What, what's his character? Alex something something. I can't remember. And, you know, there had been talks, and this maybe might have been just more in the nerd community the Hawkeye of a Hawkeye movie, movie because yeah. for the first time in the character's entire existence, there was actually a best-selling award-winning Hawkeye comic on the stands. Yeah. And none of those three things happened. Um, it's a tough, it's a tough, tough break. Jeremy Renner Renner was like, you know what? I'm just going to flip some houses. Flip some houses. (laughs) (laughs) Screw you guys. I don't need you, IMF. (laughs) So, yeah. Least valuable member, Brandt. Brandt. Okay. Um, where is Luther sitting this week? He moves quite a bit, moves very slowly at the train station, but I'm going to let that go. For starters, he's a hacker. He is not actually a field agent. Like, can we just be clear on who it is? He has to go after Ilsa because Benji got himself caught. (laughs) Luther's role is tech. So, like, So he's going above and beyond. Okay. Okay. You know what? It's not Luther that I'm mad at. As much as I was just praising Christopher McQuarrie here, how did Christopher McQuarrie not pick up on how awkward that scene looks? It was going to look at Okay. So I'm actually mad at Chris. All right. I'm not so mad at Luther. <laughs> he's sitting on a satellite tower in Malaysia. He actually gets a lot to do here. Yeah. He's sitting in Langley. He's sitting in a Range Rover. There, he, we don't. They do let him look very stylish the whole way oh, out, though. He looks fantastic. He's, yeah. he's making turtlenecks look better than I've yeah. ever seen anyone make turtlenecks <laughs> look before. I just am picturing him with a walk in closet somewhere filled, like just a whole hats. wall hats. Yeah. 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 All right. So Luther's, he's moving. Um, We've already kind of touched on this, but like, what do we think of the theme, the musical theme throughout this movie? Uh, I, it's, it's excellent. I thought it was it's my really, favorite. Really yeah, I totally agree. I am not um, uh, uh, intelligent enough about music to be able to talk about my feelings in any sort of um, understandable way. Uh, I, I likes it real good. <laughs> I just really, really appreciated how music was almost a character in the movie as well. Oh, for sure. Like they, the opera that you so beautifully sang for us before. And I, again, I'm just going to remind everyone that you can listen to it over and over again. because This will live on the internet. You think I'm embarrassed. (laughs) The internet. But I'm very proud. It was, it was fantastic. Um, (laughs) the theme interacts with the opera. It's, it, yes, Makes for one of the funniest moments in the movie when the theme builds and then Ethan face plants and we don't get the final <laughs> playoff. Like this is and, just and and it just the the music start the music is the first thing we're introduced to. It, yes. is, it is at, at the beginning. Just just watching the opening credits before we see anything else. I am feeling pumped. The theme says this music knows what you're here for. You're going to be on an adrenaline high the whole time. So anytime you hear the music, you're just you're primed. It's you're like totally Pavlov's whatever. Yeah. You're just, as soon as you hear it, cool things are going to happen. Yeah. So I think this, Joe, what's his last name? Kramer. Kramer. Joe Kramer. I will remember your name. Aces. Well done. Yeah. All right. Um, We are no longer We don't rank humans. Directors. Not here, we're not. But I think that this 
franchise was yeah it was that's who he is right like that's that's basically all christopher mccory does now is he does tom cruise movies yeah and this is the one where he he shone yeah he spread his wings he flew and you know it's it's uh, it's uh, almost unfair to him how good he is at working with tom cruise because he 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 did great work with rebecca ferguson great work with simon pegg great work with alec baldwin he, yeah he understands star persona very very well and uh yeah i just it's what what more can be said it's just a riveting movie from start to finish and as we've discovered as we try to remember certain plot points like there are holes this isn't a perfect movie yeah it's a li- like if you tried to map out what the bad guys plan it doesn't was, matter. It, yeah. It doesn't matter. But you're asking matter. the wrong questions. You're looking in the wrong place. Exactly. Christopher McQuarrie knows you are coming to this movie to be thrilled and entertained. And then he threw in character development like we haven't really seen it before. Not development, but just like we know who these characters are. We are emotionally involved. We're not just... He is truer to these characters than yes. any other director has been. And then he introduces, I think, the best relationship dynamic. I No, not the best because the Benji-Ethan dynamic is special and pure and must be protected is, at all costs. As is the Luther-Ethan. Yes. But the Luther-Ilsa dynamic is something we haven't seen before. And it's and it's it's um, mostly speechless in a very chatty movie. It's You totally nailed it before where you said Tom Cruise is a physical actor and they basically gave him his equal in yes. this movie. And had them like flirt with movement. And yes. it's, it's amazing to watch. It's so good. And so this sort of is a nice lead up to the most important question. Yeah. How do we rank the movies now? Well, look, I already showed my cards. Um, (laughs) I was really struggling coming in here because I have um, very fond feelings about Ghost Protocol. And Ghost Protocol is trying to be a different movie than this. And I almost wanted to come in here and talk about a tie or say I needed more time. But I think that would be dishonest. I think where I'm at this week is Billy's ranking in the number one spot, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation followed by Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, Mm -hmm. followed by Mission Impossible 2, followed by Mission Impossible 1996, followed by Mission Impossible 3. I'm almost identical to you. I I know what your your (laughs) twist is. Rogue Nation, Ghost Protocol, John Woo, (laughs) 3, and then the first one, Brian De Palma's. Can you help me understand why I like this more than Ghost Protocol? Because I don't know why I like it more than Ghost Protocol. The only thing I could say is that it's the character beats that put this above it for me. I think that's exactly it. I think you get the incredible stunts that you are hoping for from a a Mission Impossible movie here. And I don't think they are on the same level as Ghost Protocol. No, and they can't be, right? Because we need to see these characters interact with each other more so we can get to Rogue Nation. Eventually you have to get off. Yeah. The motorcycle (laughs) to have. So you get the amazing thrills and the fast pacing of this movie, but you also have emotional attachments to the characters. Like you're emotionally invested in what's going on in this story. Yes, deeply. So maybe it's a little unfair, but... Like, you know, if I had to rank these out of 10, you know, we're talking about at most a 0.5 or maybe even 0.25 difference. Mm Mm-hmm. I might be larger than that, but it's not a full point spread between them. But here's the thing. I 
think this is why we are having this discussion in the first place. Why we wanted to do this podcast is because this is maybe the biggest franchise of our lives and just in terms of how long it's been around and how successful it's been. Well, and it's just like... It's gotten better and better. It is... I can't remember which episode I said this in, but it's always entertaining to watch someone who is the best they are at what they do do that thing. Yes. And to watch this series hit a weird part in three and then just keep getting better and better Mm -hmm. has been so enjoyable. Yes. And I want to... Here's what I wanted to say when we were talking about Christopher McQuarrie, too, because it made me just go, ah, I love this guy so much. So um, Rogue Nation was supposed to be released, I think, um, similarly around Christmas time, the holiday season. And then they found out that a Star Wars was being released at that time, and they just didn't want to (laughs) compete. Go see a Star (laughs) Wars. And so the studio moved the release date for Rogue Nation to the summer blockbuster spot, but the movie wasn't done yet. And so they said, okay, Chris, the movie releases on July 31st. And um, here, I'm just going to look this up because it is just so good. Um, So the film was completed at 2 a.m. on July 18th, 2015, less than two weeks before its release date. That is stunning. I love that. And and so how did this do relative to Ghost? protocol um it didn't make as much which was a bit of a shock Mm. i think for all um i see it as the eighth highest grossing movie of the year yeah um surpassed by some movies that i think deserve to be above it and many that i don't yeah well, this is so. What's shocking to me is that Ghost Protocol is actually the third highest um, mission movie, and it's the so it is a go Ghost Protocol, Mission Impossible two, yeah, Mission Impossible, and and that's got to be adjusted adjusted for inflation, right? Yeah, it okay. is. Okay. So, I don't know that that is a fair thing that the universe did for this movie. I feel like this movie should have made more money than all well, of them. Well, okay, so twenty fifteen is one of the biggest movies. Is it the biggest year for movies ever? What so happens just, in 2015? Okay, so Mission Impossible is in spot eight. Okay. Above it is Spectre. Mm. Above that is Inside Out. Oh. Above that is Minions. Ew. All right. <laughs> Fine. How like dare the, Minions? I, I guess we don't like the Minions <laughs> podcast in this movie. Well, no, the... This podcast, excuse me. No, I'm, I've, never, I've never seen a single Despicable Me. Okay. Uh, so I can't comment, but I'm just shocked fair. that Minions made more money than Rogue yeah, Nation. Yeah, I mean it's a family movie, yeah. right? So I don't know. Okay. Anyway, Minions, Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Hmm. Uh. Okay. This must be domestic numbers because this can't be right at all. Above that is Avengers: Age of Ultron. Above that is Furious Seven, and above that is Jurassic World. So what a yeah bonkers year for. Like that's, you know, that's, that's, that's a lot of really good movies. Well, and just gigantic. Yeah. You know, a Fast and the Furious, a Star Wars, a Jurassic World, and an Avengers movie all in one year. We are people that love franchises. Yeah. Okay. That was our extremely (laughs) uninformed take on the year 2015. I'm sure people who actually follow the film industry are like, who are these? (laughs) Someone should start a podcast about all the movies that came out in 2015. (laughs) 
Um, okay, have we answered our questions? I don't know. I just I, we have. I, I don't really want to stop talking about this movie. But I know. Okay, so I guess that's about it for today. Uh, we'll tell you this. Next week, we're going to be back here with our episode on Mission Impossible Fallout. And then after that, we're going to have a surprise bonus episode. Surprise. So uh, we're going to be doing, in that episode, a little bit of a wrap-up. And then we got a surprise announcement. So, Which we are super jazzed about. Yeah, check in after that. Uh, yeah. uh, other than that. Incredible logo, art, incredible logo art by the wonderful Aaron Kosser. And if you like this podcast and or my opera performance, please tell your friends and rate us, review us, and subscribe. Other than that, I believe it is mission accomplished. I want to talk more about this movie. Do we really not have anything else to say? I don't don't think we do. I'm I'm struggling. I'm surprised. We're coming in at 2.30 on the dot.